What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast. Your host, yours surely, Jai Shields, here on this weekend of Friday, September the 16th, the year 2022. Last two, last to talk about here on this weekend program, Jason Azario, the host of the J Reels uh, podcast, will join us a little bit later on to uh, to give us his perspective as a steel as a, a diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fan of what went down on the Ohio River in the Queen City on a Sunday afternoon. We'll get a Steelers fan's perspective of that game between the Bengals and the Steelers, and and put a and tie a knot, a full knot, full kibosh. On week one of the National Football League, we'll get his thoughts on a couple of uh, th- on a couple of other games and storylines from last weekend. We will preview week the uh, marquee week two matchups here. His uh, Steelers taking on the New England Patriots, uh, Cardinals and Raiders. The Monday night game between the Vikings and the Eagles, which is very good. My Bengals and Cowboys. Obviously, we'll also get his thoughts on his New York Mets as they have had a, uh, like my Baltimore Orioles, ironically enough, it's September to forget as of uh, as of right now, heading into tonight's slate of action. Touch on the Yankees, Aaron Judge and his 62 home run chase, single season home run chase. Albert Pujols hit, uh, quested 700 home runs and joined that ultra exclusive club. And we got a lot cooking here for you. On this uh, on this uh, show here in mid September, and also and in which we will address with him, and what I will get to uh, here at the top of the show is uh, is the is the Thursday night game that was between the Los Angeles Chargers and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs on Amazon Prime Video. As weird as weird as that sounds. Uh, for me to say that, so let's uh, let's jump right into it. Um, the uh, th- this is a game that you know, you th- when you th- go about and you look at the Chargers' history, you know, there's a lot of games that you look back, and if you're a Charger fan, you can recall you recall them and you remember them, uh, chapter and verse. Uh, for the last however many years, you know, you tr- you little Charger fans out there have been Chargers fans. You re- you recall them and remember the games and remember the moments and remember the significant plays that stick out. And you can remember you can remember them like it like it happened yesterday. And when you go about the Chargers history and you go out and you go about, you know, well, why haven't, you know, I believe the 2010 team, they had the number one defense, number one offense in the National Football League, failed to make the playoffs. Why? Their special teams was in the toilet. You know, you go, but you look, you just go, just go about the history of the Los Angeles Chargers for the better part of the last 20 years. And you say, say to yourself, well, how come they didn't make the playoffs that year? How come they didn't go to the Super Bowl uh, this year, how come it didn't win the division? How come it didn't make the playoffs? Is and the other, and it circles back because if you were to go back into the into the game archives and would go back and do the work, they had a lot of games where at the back of them they say, "Damn it, we should have won this one." If this thing, if that play, if that one play went different, or if those two plays, or those three plays, or those five plays, or if we got this bet, we got the benefit of the whistle from the refs here, or if such and such wasn't injured, wasn't playing hurt, it always, 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 it never works out in the end for the for the Chargers. It never does. And last night's game against Kansas City was was one of those games. 
a game where they dominate where they dominated Kansas City uh for you know for 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 about 75% of the game a game where they beat Kansas City in time, where they where they had the ball more than Kansas City coming down to time of possession 33 minutes and 37 seconds to Kansas City's 26 26 uh 23 and a game where they committed less penalties than Kansas City did three penalties for 25 yards comparing to Kansas City's six penalties for 54 yards and a game where they made it to the end zone two more times than Kansas City did and a game where they at where they uh where they uh, ran more offensive plays in Kansas City did by 20, 74 to 54. And a game where, if you look at the box score, Justin Herbert threw for more passing yards than Patrick Mahomes did, 334 to Patrick Mahomes, 235. Threw for more touchdowns than Patrick Mahomes did, three touchdowns to Patrick's, uh, to Patrick's two. And a game where the Chiefs had, or excuse me, where the Chargers did have a receiver break over 100 yards, which was Mike Williams, who had an absolutely sensational night, especially in the first half. Eight receptions for 113 receiving yards and a touchdown catch. And Travis Kelsey was held to a, to a, uh, to a mire uh, 51 yards receiving and off of uh, off of five receptions and seven targets came down to earth from his fantastic week one performance uh, last Sunday against uh, against the Cardinals. You look at all of that and you ask yourself, how in the world did the Chargers lose this game? They had their foot on the neck of the Chiefs many a times throughout this game. They had a 17 to seven lead. 17 to 7 lead with uh 17 to 7 lead heading in with heading into 9 at about 9:52 in the third quarter and 9:52 in the third quarter. They had Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, seven plays, 75 yards, bring themselves within 3. Okay? So you're sitting up here thinking, okay, didn't have an uh, didn't have an opportunity. Uh, didn't ha- didn't have an opportunity to uh to to do that. Okay, we're in good shape. But you go back at the first and ten at Kansas City's twenty-five yard line when the Chiefs had the ball nine forty-three in the third quarter. I think myself, me, I think myself, me personally, and looking at it live and looking at the replay, that was not an interception. I understand the I understand the rule about about you know the ball can touch the ground as long as your hand is underneath it. But you look at that Asante Samuel catch attempt to try to intercept it. It was he that that ball hit that ball hit the ground just because he had his hand on it. What because it doesn't hit the ground? I understand it. I understand that the, that the that the that the Chiefs every single time we turn around to get a benefit of whistle. But the way I was taught, and and as long as I've been watching football, is that play is not a, is not an interception. He catches that ball, brings it into his body, but when he bring, but when he fall, he felt he dove for the ball, stomach, uh, face first, landing on his stomach, not his back. When he dove for the ball and brought it in. The ball can touch the ground, but that thing, when it hits the ground, has to be like stuck solid to the point where it's like glued to him. It can hit the ground, but that ball can can has to have little to no movement whatsoever to show that he had control. The way I the way I saw it, and the way that the replay officials, a few people kill him, I'm not going to do that. They get, they got this one right. They brings he he catch he he goes out and dives with it with his hands. Brings it in 
And although he's got his hand on the ball, there's enough of the ball that's that's exposed to where when it hits the ground, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. loses control in it, and and it um, and it was ruled in, and it was correctly ruled an incomplete pass. Uh, the charge didn't get screwed on that one. I mean, if you thought, if you honestly thought in your heart of hearts that a that it was damn near impossible for it to be overturned, and b thought that it was going to stand as an incomplete pass. I mean, either either you are a Chargers fan and you got to take the Charger blinders off, or you or you don't, or or just something was wrong with either your eyesight, the picture on your TV, uh, or 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 you or you just don't know the catch rule because that that was in that was an incomplete. You saw it, you looked at the replay, you said at least I did. Said to myself, watching it live. That's going to get called back. That's not. That's not going to have an opportunity to stand. So they got that one right. And Asante Samuel Jr., who had many of opportunities to intercept uh, to to intercept uh, Patrick Mahomes in the game, if he catches one, if he catches uh, in one of the Kansas City's red zone trips, he catches the ball that hits him right in his mitts. He goes the in the. I believe, the, and this was in the first half. He catches the ball that hits him in his mitts. He runs the other way for a 105-yard uh, pick six that puts the game on its ear. And, may, and maybe the Chiefs aren't even in, in a position where they're within 10 points for them to win the game. So, and I and I tweeted it sarcastically, but, but you know, but there was a point that I was making in tweet that I made. You know, if Asante Samuel Jr. finds a way to hold on to, to a couple of balls that hit him right in his hands... This is a totally different football game, and the Chiefs don't win. I said it facetiously. You know, he should be in the same wide receiver drills that Mike Williams is because Mike Williams is going to be, a, you know, one-handed, reaching over his body, catching every single ball that Herbert throws him, and he goes out one hand, two hand, doesn't matter. He's out there catching, and Asante Samuel's getting thrown balls right to his hands, right through his chest. And he somehow can't come down with them. You know, I understand, you know, you don't want to be like, well, their job is to play corner and, and cover the wide receiver and to make tackles in the open field and this, that, and the other. Yeah, but when you have, but when you bring, but when your defense is that stout and you're playing teams like Kansas City, where your margin, where your defensive margin for error is, 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 it was slim, it was slim to none in the last couple of seasons. With no Tyree Kill, it's, a, it's gotten a little bit bigger. But then you go out there and you see how Patrick Mahomes performs. And he goes out there and he had a very, not great, but but a solid 24 for 35 night, 235 and two touchdowns. Didn't turn over the football. It should have about like five times. But didn't turn over. You go ahead and you look at Patrick Mahomes conduct the chief offensive drive. And it's like they have no Tyree Kill, but that's still number 15 lining up for him behind center. So I, I say it tongue in cheek, but it's like the the cornerbacks need to, and it's not the first time. Mahomes many a times, you know, he's he's for whatever the reason he's he gets he get, he's gotten very lucky because the de- defensive backs that he throws gimme interceptions to, for whatever the reason they they can't they they can't secure the the process of a catch and hold on to it and catch it for an interception and have it go back the other way. 
so you know, so any quarterback cornerback out there that's any with the Chargers when they play him later on this season, that's Denver, that's a Denver Bronco DB. That's a uh, that's a that's this is for a Raider DB. This is for a Bengal defensive back, Seahawk defensive back. You play if you play Kansas City this season. It is best that, especially the week before the week leading up to the game, that the cornerbacks need to be in wide receiver. And I'm not joking with this. That the that the defensive backs, safeties, the nickelbacks, regular corners need to be in wide receiver drills with the wide receiver with the with the wide. I'm not talking about the route running drills. I'm talking about the ten. I'm talking about the tennis ball drills. I'm talking about. I'm talking about the quick. I'm talking about the quick pass drills. You know, you run a little five yard dig route and bam, the and the ball's got to be in your hands. I'm talking about using the jugs machines. I mean, do whatever you got to do to make sure that when the ball is thrown to you, you catch it because you've seen it ad infinitum with Patrick Mahomes throughout his young yet great talented NFL career. You give him an inch, he takes a mile. It doesn't matter if the inch is piss poor officiating. It doesn't matter if the inch, the if the inch is pitch is piss poor coaching. It doesn't matter if the inch is a is a dropped interception from a from a defensive player. Him escaping a sack, a bad undisciplined penalty, doesn't matter. You give Patrick Mahomes a second chance, a second opportunity. He's too damn good to 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 let to let that opportunity pass him by, and 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 to and to, and to squander his set and to squander whatever second chance he gets in a given drive. He's just too damn good, and he's too damn talented. So you take all that into account. You know, he had about like a, quite a few interceptions that should have went again, that should have hurt Kansas City, and he, and he didn't. He didn't play his best game. Don't get me wrong, but then again, the great quarterback bounces back when he, when they make mistakes and when they make a mistake and they get lucky because either the defense commits a penalty, uh, commits a penalty which wipes away the turnover, or they fail to do so. You know, you fumble the football and defense can't hop on it and recover the fumble. Patrick Holmes throws interception right into the hands of Asante Simeon Jr. He somehow can't can't find a way to hang, hang on. And the illegal contact penalty, and I will kill the refs on this. The illegal contact penalty that they called that uh, that led that led to one of Kansas that led to an early Kansas City score in the game was a complete was a complete not a disgrace. How in the hell is that illegal contact when the defensive back goes goes? He's the one who's on the ground, not the wide receiver, guys. I mean, with, with 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 the officiating, it just it it, it it never stops. I mean, that train is that the the piss poor officiating train with the National Football League. It's it's never late. It's all it, you never you never you never see it coming, but it's never late and it always 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 arrives on time. I mean, how in the world that's illegal contact out when the defender goes to the ground? And if it's offensive pass interference more than anything else, I will never, ever, 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 ever understand. Never understand. And why, you know, we're going hurry up Brandon Staley. First and goal, you know, when Everett is winded and is and is trying to get trying to get the sidelines attention as you know as if his life depends on it for him to get out of the game because he's huffing and puffing about the about the throw up all over the place and god forbid knock on wood pass out you know uh for you know for a brief moment and the fact that that 
A, uh, still he doesn't recognize that. Need to tell Herbert to slow down and call him out. This the first thing, and the second thing. Well, if you're gonna, well, you're going Why are you going uh, hustle up to begin with? Third, why are you call? Why for that play are you calling his number? Does the did he have to get the ball? Now he ran it. Now his effort on the play from the from the route that he ran. Uh, and 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 the hustle or lack thereof on the on the interception uh, to Herbert to the to the uh, to the guy um, Jalen Watt to the corner Jalen Watson is another thing else. But it's like, come on. I mean, can we? Are we paying attention, Brandon? Are we paying attention? Are we in, are we in the game? Are we awake? Stuff like that, man. Stuff like so stuff like that is why is why come week 16, 17, 18, you know, Charger fans all over, you know, the few of them that there are are going to be scrambling around, you know, scoreboard watching and and hitting their knees every single night and praying to God that 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 a that a couple that a team this that along the way, you know, loses a game or or that or that they win again or that they win a game and in a in a in a nail biter all because they let games in early September slip through the cracks that they really should win. And it's like, oh, no, no big deal. We're good. We're fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, come late December, January, and you're and you're struggling, limping to the finish line, trying to make the playoffs, and you look back at losses such as September 15th as to why you're not playing after week 18. It was a typical Chargers loss. Typical, 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 typical. And you know, and Brandon, st- and there was a lot, and there was a lot of times fourth down, you know, at and at in around the midfield territory of the of the field, fourth and short, fourth and two. Brandon Staley's punting. You want to talk about a guy? That did not have an easy off season over the last what uh, eight months, seven eight months, going for it every going for it left and right to the cows. I understand it's a new season, and you know you're supposed to make improvement from season to season. Not just the players, but the head coach and their decision making and their play calling as well, and the fact they have a much better defense this year, at least on paper, than they did last year. But uh, and they only held Kansas City to what? Uh, they only scored two offense. They scored. They only held Kansas City to uh, to two to two offensive touchdowns. That's it. So I get that, but boy, when you when you see Brandon Staley fourth and two, fourth and short at, around midfield, Mister Aggressive, and he decides to punt. You know that 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 he spent many a nights, you know where. You know, staring at the ceiling because the Raider game, just the name, of, just the, just, just picking that one out of the many, you know, was was in his mind with him going going for it every single fourth down that he had that 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 had an opportunity that presented itself at every opportunity, and the same thing with Andy Reid, you know, kicking field goals at his own goal line. You know, with e with Eli Apple g- giving them night terrors, I found that to be interesting too. Both of those coaches, uh, both of those coaches had 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 their two 
big time flaws slash mistakes that led to their own team's demise and end to their well demise means end, but their led to their two teams' demise back in January. It still stuck with them when it came time when it came in their decision making in a game what eight months later. And new new game, different game, different season, new season. Those 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 two instances still stuck out in their minds with their decision making eight months later. Which I thought was very interesting too. And the Amazon uh Prime broadcast, listen. In a perfect world, you want in a perfect world you want the game on network television. In a perfect world, you want to be able to uh, to channel surf, and to and to guide surf, and to be able to flip from the game, you know, during the two and a half minute commercial break, and then flip right back as soon as the commercial break is over. When you're sitting there watching a game, you know, you, if you're a baseball fan, you want to flip over and uh, see what the Mets are doing. You want to flip and and, and uh, watch whatever game MLB Network had on, or. Or if you were a WNBA fan, flip to uh, Game 3 of the 2022 WNBA Finals. But listen, it is what it is. For better or for worse, the game is on Amazon Prime at least for the next decade or so. Unless something, unless the NFL is uh, shown uh, otherwise. Um, and the bottom line is, folks, that the reason why the game, you, you know, you complain why the game is on Amazon Prime. The reason why the game is on Amazon Prime is simple. CBS, NBC, and Fox did not want to have to pay extra out of pocket on top of their regular, uh, on top of their regular contract to broadcast NFL football on Sundays. Pay extra out of pocket, not get a discount. Then I get a discount. Pay extra out of pocket, and give up a night of television during the fall. September during the fall TV season, September October. And November and early December to air substandard football games. To air to air to air C at best D list football games. They they did not want to give up they did not want to give up a night of TV to air substandard primetime football games. That 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 they're getting that they gotta pay a fortune out of pocket on top of the money that they're already giving the NFL to broadcast their Sunday games. Fox and CBS is case to do their regular Sunday afternoon uh, games and an NBC with Sunday night. You know, is is NBC gonna give up? You know, in case you don't know, Thursday night is NBC's, at least it has been for the last few years. Thursday night has been NBC's Law & Order night. You want NBC NBC to give up their Law & You want NBC to give up their Law & Order night to to air, you know, Washington, to air uh, Commanders and Bears on on October... Whatever whatever that day is in mid October October the thirteenth, uh, little rough. Ch- paying extra, paying extra for bad football games, and and again, it's not like that the that the, that those three networks are starving to to put the NFL on the airways because they already have an NF, they already have an NFL contract, so it's it's a matter of pick your poison. So if CBS doesn't want it, Fox doesn't want it, NBC doesn't want it, 
and it'd be a logistical disaster to, to put the game and to give ESPN slash ABC the rights to it. And, and they're shooting themselves in the foot if they want to go back to square one and put the games on the NFL Network again. So they figure, fine, if you don't, if uh, we don't want to put the games back on the NFL Network, we're basically we're not making any, we're not we're where we aren't making anything because it's our own league-owned network, um, and CBS don't want, don't want to have to pay for the games. NBC, Fox, fine, we'll go somewhere else. They had they had a relation, they have a relationship with Amazon because Amazon Prime was like it was the third was the third alternative. During the during the uh, recent Fox TNF years, where it, where it was the third broadcasting alternative for Thursday Night Football, you had the game on your local Fox station, NFL Network, and then on Prime Video. So they had a relationship with them. They said, "Hey, you want you guys want to go from number three to number number three to number to number three to the Lone Wolf?" And Amazon said, "Yes." Paid a billion dollars for eleven years for the Thursday Night Football rights, and it's there to stay for at least the next decade. But as far as the broadcast itself, I if I were to give it a grade on a on a F to A scale, I'd give it a B, solid B. Ryan Fitzpatrick's a work in progress, in my in my personal opinion. Uh, you know, with the with their quote unquote, it's I don't say I, the only reason why I say quote unquote is because they'll be on on site at the stadium for every single game. Uh, he's a work in progress. He's he's got a personality, but he's not a he's not a, he's not the sharp, fine-tuned, you know, an, analyst and broadcaster that say Richard Sherman and uh, that say Richard Sherman and Tony Gonzalez are. But he's a, and Andrew Whitworth as well to boot, who was a who's a pro at this and and only his first year. Um, but the, and Carissa Thompson is fantastic, as we all know, in more ways than one. Um, so it's, so it was a good, so, so studio crew was good. Studio crew's good. Al and Herb Street have the potential to be a damn good broadcasting, have the potential to be a damn good broadcast booth. Um, the only, it's the only thing it was just, it'll take some getting used to, to us, the football fan, because we're so used to hearing Al Michaels, you know, call a big play or hearing him on the microphone and, and have him call the game. And then all of a sudden you hear Chris Collinsworth's voice, you know, here's a guy, you know, Al, here's a guy, Patrick Mahomes, who just finds a way to make a play happen after every snap. I mean, it's, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. I mean, you get you no know, Tyreek Hill. You get Mart Torres Valdez Scanling. You get Juju Smith Schuster from Pittsburgh, and it's like this offense never skips a beat. I mean, Al, it is it is truly a sight a sight to behold. There's no doubt about it. So you know, you go from hearing that to hearing Curb Herbstreit's voice. You know that that's 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 gonna for the longtime football fans like you and I, that's gonna take a minute to get used to. Both very 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 good, damn good, great football broadcasters in their own right, but it'll it'll take some getting used to to hear that to hearing them together as as a as a whole unit as a whole booth. You know, and with Al and Chris, they it it was it was it was the it was they were like the Abbott and Castell. They you know there was the there was the yin and the yang. There was no person between the two of them, there was no one person in the booth that was bigger than the other. They the the chemistry between the two of them, the friendship, the kinship between the two of them was impeccable and with Herb Street now they gotta develop that 
over time with every with every single game. You know, perfect example. Yeah, yeah, I know it's true because when they put the camera on Al Michaels, when they when they you know when they when they introduced the broadcast, and Al Michaels sitting there with the Amazon microphone in his hand, and he looks to his left and he's expecting to see, and he's and he look and the way he and if you've seen the Sunday football broadcast over the years. And as the years have gone by, you notice that 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 Al kind of looks. He looks to his left a certain way when he ex, when he's ex, as if it's as if it's a a as if it's a a, a a not a verbal cue but a cue with like his eyes for all right all right Chris it's you know slide into the picture and join the broadcast now and he kind of looked to his left in that same manner and the camera kind of panned out a little bit and there was nobody to his left expecting the expecting Collinsworth to kind of slide in which I thought that, which I found to be a little touching and and a little uh, and a little uh nostalgic to to uh to say to uh to say the least but it'll it'll take some getting used to the picture was great the graphics I love, uh, you know, I could, people said they had an issues with the sound. I couldn't attest that because my parents had a bunch of people over to the house on Thursday night for the little, uh, church, church group that they have going on. So the, so my house is going to be, uh, bouncing a little bit every Thursday night from like here for, from, from last night for like the next few months. So I didn't have a, I didn't have a feel uh, for the sound, for, you know, for the sound, uh, you know, issues with sound quality. I can't attest to that. I can't speak to that, but everything else about the broadcast was good. It was, it was, uh, it was very good. Solid, solid for their debut, B performance, B performance. But, uh, yeah, it'll take some getting used to. And same old thing with the charges. Brandon Sally, get it together. That's all I'm going to say. And then Herbert, you know, heart playing with the heart of a champion with bad ribs, uh, with with bad ribs at the end of that game, and still got them within. A, still got them with the, to the point where if they would have recovered the, the 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 muffed onside kick by Kansas City, they who knows what would have happened. But anyway, that's how we begin. Jason Azario standing by. This is the Amtel Catalia's podcast. Don't go anywhere. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the I'm Telling Is podcast. Joining me now, the host of the J Reels podcast, the one and only Pittsburgh Steelers fan, New York Met fan extraordinaire uh, from this great city of New York, the one and only Jason Azario joins us here on this Friday weekend football Friday show. Jason, good to have you back, pal. How you been? How you doing? All right. All is well. Uh, yes. Now the sports world, we can finally rejoice after what I usually call the sports dead zone part two, which is after the NBA finals, Stanley cup finals. And even though there's baseball, but between early July till about late August, Oh man, it is a slog. And thankfully football is back, both the pro and college sports. And uh, yes, now uh, let's get cooking. So uh, all is well with me. And to, how's the, uh, how's that show of yours doing, by the way? I see that you get, yeah, I see that you're getting old NFL, you're getting ex-NFL players <laughs> on. I mean, you're still popping up the podcast every single day. Give the audience just real quickly uh, an update on how uh, the J Reels podcast has been doing since the last time we had you on. Yes, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I'm, what, now 292 episodes in. Just recently I had Chris Dishman, who was a former all-pro NFL cornerback, Houston 
Oilers, not Texans. And yes, I know I'm going way back in the uh, football archives, I guess. But uh, Jason's sometimes... in his 50s, ladies and gentlemen. It's hard to believe <laughs> with the with, with the young heart and the energetic spirit that he has. But he's in his. It's hard to believe, but he's in his 50s. So I I, I had to preference that because sometimes you know people listen to me like, man, how old is this guy? This guy, you know, I know he's older <laughs> than Jai, but he's fairly energetic. I mean, he's he's he. How old are you? 50. 53. You? He's 53 going on 33. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you, may, you may continue. Uh, the check is in the mail, my friend. Um, yeah, so <laughs> so Chris Dishman I had on, uh, good conversation. I wanted to go a little bit further, but we didn't. But it touched on a lot of different things. He's a coach now, XFL, but a former player. Was part of that crazy part of Euler history where they lost three brutal back-to-back-to-back playoff games uh so we get into that including the epic game in buffalo where they were up 35-3 in the wild card round back in 1993 so uh that and then uh yeah just cranking them out twice a week monday and thursday uh just trying to get as many guests as possible as we get closer to the end of 2022 because 2023 i want to go bigger higher and even deeper into this podcast realm because uh, next March will be five years that I've been doing this. And uh, yes, I have uh, big things, big plans coming. So yeah. Talking about uh, anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, So there, so I figured there was one, uh, it was one that you uploaded yesterday. Give the audience a couple, a, a, a promo of what yesterday's show was like. Ah. I appreciate that. I'll be quick. Uh, yes, I touched on the Mets who won a game last night, but they got swept by the Cubs at home. And as you mentioned at the top, I'm a diehard Mets fan. And they have been just flailing here over the last few weeks with the Braves nipping at their heels. Uh, I also talked about the Guardians. I got to give them some shine because they're in a stretch right now where they lost to the White Sox yesterday, but they have a five-game set against Minnesota with three against the White Sox again so they can wrap up their division. I talk about Judge's home run chase. I get into the schedule for week two in the NFL, which isn't great. And the Monday nights, which I know we'll talk about, why do they have a doubleheader that overlaps one another in week two and not week one is beyond me. Uh, Also, the college uh, football schedule this week is week, uh, week number three. And I also talk about Robert Sarver, the Suns owner, how he got suspended for a year, as well as a $10 million fine, how A, should it have been harsher, and B, What's going on with Daniel Snyder? Because they're doing this investigation, which seems like forever, and nothing has happened there. So I get into all that here on this latest edition, which came out yesterday. Fantastic, fantastic. You can find that, ladies and gentlemen, on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, I know Spotify, and probably wherever the hell else you get your podcasts, the 9 million podcasting apps that are there. Uh, available to you but let's jump right into it uh we will with uh, week one of the national foot with uh, week one of the national football league we will get to the chargers and the chiefs coming up a little bit uh later on in the program or not later on in the program but a little bit later on with jason here this segment i want to begin with not yet with not last night's thursday night game but the thursday night game that began the season uh, a week a week ago yesterday with the Bills and the Rams. You know, Jason, the way I look at it, I look at it is that, and I screamed and yelled 
about the fact that me as a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan, obviously, hearing the national media jump on the Bengals bandwagon and riding their coattails and pumping up the Buffalo Bills as if they're some next great NFL dynasty as a Bengals fan is a little a little tough to take. I gotta be fair, I gotta be honest. You know, this this is a franchise that you know, and not any of this current regime's fault or, you know, nothing against them. But this is a franchise that lost four Super Bowls in the 90s, two out of the four of them to the same damn team in back-to-back years, which I could live to be 150 years old. I would probably never, ever, ever, ever see that again, right. um, which just goes to just show how just ridiculous, how ridi- how ridiculous that is. Franchise that that's never won a Super Bowl, oh, not the Bengals have either, don't get me wrong, went 0 for 4 in Super Bowls four straight years. Um, throw in the fact that, that with Sean McDermott, he is oh, and f- he's Sean McDermott since he's been that coach of Buffalo Bills, and they've gone, he's 0 and 4 in play in road playoff games. Oh, right. and four. He's lost, he lost to the Jaguars in 2017. He lost the wild card game, uh, against, against Houston with Allen to that's that season 2019 and overtime. He lost, he lost a road playoff game to, and he's lost two road playoff games to the Chiefs 2020 and championship game 2021 in that, uh, in that overtime thriller back in January. Josh Allen, same thing. For all his greatness, for all his talent, he's a top five and arguably best quarterback in the National Football League, but the guy's 0-3 in road playoff games. And yeah, you can't – it's not like that it's Patrick Mahomes where it's like, well, Patrick Mahomes never won a road playoff game either. That's, that's because it's been so damn good. He hasn't, have to, he hasn't had to play in one. And right. my and my quarterback, two road playoff games, his first full season National Football League, he takes care of business. He being the only quarterback besides the GOAT Tom Brady to go into Kansas City in a, in a conference championship game setting and somehow so find a way to beat the Chiefs and get his team to a Super Bowl. Having said all of that, you can see why they got as, they're getting as much hype and got as much preseason love and offseason love as they had because they just went into Kansas City minus a few mistakes. Uh, McKenzie should have caught a pass on one of Josh Allen's uh, interceptions, but you can see why they got as much hype and as much love as they did heading into this season because they are a damn good and scary football team. Vaughn Miller made the difference because he was in a Bills uniform and not a Rams uniform. Josh Allen is sensational. Gabriel Davis hasn't hasn't skipped a beat since the playoff game uh, against Kansas City. Allen simply hasn't skipped a beat since when when they when they failed to put the ball in the end zone against uh, against Jacksonville last season. I mean, just he's it's ridiculous how remarkable of a quarterback he is. And another takeaway from the game is you know. You got I understand that the Rams and my Bengals are coming off of because they were the first team to do it, the longest NFL season of all time with the full 17 with the full 17 games, the fact that another that neither of those two teams, although they won a division, they didn't get the number one seed, didn't get a bye. So they play wild card weekend, divisional championship, all up to the Super Bowl. And even though the and with the Rams, there's a little bit more difficult path for them, albeit the fact that one out of their playoff games was a blowout and the Bengals had to grind out every single playoff win uh so it's kind of like the yang and the yang the the rams had to play their guys week 18 the Bengals did not but having but having said all that as a preamble 
you know, I think it's important that you got to play your starters and got to play your guys in preseason. I understand that it's not like that the that the Rams roster had tremendous turnover, but I would like to have that, you know, where in the world was Allen Robinson last Thursday night? He threw him, he threw, Matthew Stafford threw the ball to him once or twice, and that was the end of it. I mean, come on. So <laughs> I think it, it was the Rams being not being a well-oiled machine, factor in the fact that the Bills and Josh Allen and the offense who did play during the preseason – were just, you know, they you know what they were doing? They were saying to themselves, if this is how this is how we were going to play had we had gotten here back in February. That it was it was kind of, it was like kind of like a, a personal grudge match in their mind. We were going we were we planned on playing like this in SoFi back in February, didn't get the opportunity. So let's show the world in this in the uh, in the season opener what we're capable of doing. And, and, and what America missed out on of us out here balling out here in the stadium. So what are your thoughts on the Bills point that I made and the Rams with the lack of preseason preparation? All right, I'll start with the Rams only because they are the champs and they certainly didn't play like that. Not only that, the offensive line was a sieve. As you saw, Stafford was pretty much running for his life the whole game. We got sacked seven times. And we knew that once Andrew Whitworth retired, their left tackle, of course, former Bengal as well, mm -hmm. that they were going to have to shore up that offensive line as best as they possibly could. And for one game, we didn't see that. So overall, I think the Rams are going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be an issue. Uh, yes, you do have to worry a little bit, maybe even about Matthew Stafford's elbow, because that was, of course, all the rage during training camp. And even though he said he was fine going into the game and didn't use it as a crutch or as an excuse, but you would think the Rams, even without a running game, and that's going to be a problem, especially if they're trying to go back and repeat as champions. But I would think competitive division, obviously we know about the Niners. Seahawks are not going to be good, and Arizona is probably going to be more down than up, but you never know. In any given week, they could surprise people. But I think the Rams, even though they may have bit off more than they can chew as far as going into this game, thinking that once they raised the banner to the rafters and that was going to be a party and automatically they were going to be 1-0, and oh, they were sadly mistaken. And going back to your point as far as the preseason is concerned, I really think that more players, the starters, should, if not get a half, they should at least play three quarters, whether it's in the third preseason game, which you think would be the tune-up for the regular season, or if they want to use the second game as that, whatever it may be, just to, so there's some continuity so there's some a little bit of togetherness that people will get to be on the same page. And obviously you did not see that on Thursday night or last Thursday night when the Rams had Buffalo come into that building. And with the Bills, I know it's the overreaction of week one. We get it. A lot of people picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Funny enough, I actually picked Buffalo last year. I did not pick them this year because I didn't want to be that guy to say yes, to give you a chalk Super Bowl, whether it be Buffalo Green Bay or Buffalo in Tampa. Well, what's, well, what was it? Well, what oh, was yeah, the I, Super Bowl pick? I still went pretty much chalk. I said Kansas City, Green Bay. I said, you know what? Let it come full circle. The Super Bowl won to Super Bowl 57. So that's what I chose. And I figured Kansas City was going to win the whole thing. So that was my yeah. pick. Wow. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's not a, that's not a bad pick. I, I don't think Kansas City, even with their win last night, which we'll get to, they are not the best team in the AFC, not even talent-wise, but – 
Uh, I mean, it's not, that's not a bad, but I feel like there are two matchups that everybody is in love with that has been picked on a re- on on recycle for the last few years. It's the it's Rams and Chiefs because America was is still infatuated with that Monday night game that they saw back in November two thousand and eighteen, yeah. and um and it's and it's Super Bowl one with the with the pack with the, the Packers and the Packers and the Chiefs. Half the people yep. that are picking Packers and Chiefs as, as go mad dog on you. Uh, you know what now? Uh, Bot Star, uh, <laughs> Len Dawson, uh, 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 Lombardi. If you fell on you, I mean, Jay Lewis, right. I mean, how do people pick a Super Bowl one? I mean, how they had a Red Nitsky, uh, Jerry Kramer, Jay West. Yep. But anyway, <laughs> that's it's, him. Uh, but it's every every single t- and especially with the Rams and the Chiefs, because like every single time you pick it, it's not that they don't make the playoffs. It's like they get right to the edge, and it's like it doesn't happen. You know, right. t- 2018, that same season, Rams make Super Bowl courtesy of the refs. But uh, but then you look in the AFC side, and then it's, and then Patrick Mahomes, who had a magical season that year, runs into a bus saw Tom Brady last yep. year. Last year, uh, the bank, the Bengals, twenty, uh, what was it, twenty? I think it was a twenty-three to three or twenty-four-three uh, uh, deficit. They come back, they win the game, NFC Championship game. Who would who would the Chiefs or yeah, who would the Chiefs would have played in the Super Bowl? The LA Rams. So it's yeah. so it's like the stars almost align, and then at the very last second, it doesn't happen. But that's oh, an, but that's an interesting pick. I'll let you uh, continue with with the Buffalo. Also, yeah, so real quick on Buffalo, because I know we got uh, obviously a ton to get to. Uh, as far as the Bills, yes, I understand the overreaction week one. They're going to look at them as world beaters. Everybody's going to look at them. Oh, see what they've done. Look at Josh Allen, the offense, even the defense played well, et cetera. And rightfully so. But we all know this league and we've watched football plenty enough. And I'm not trying to throw ice cold water on the Bills or their season, but we could see Monday night, Tennessee, they came off a bad loss against the Giants and everybody. Bills Mafia, they're going to flock and flood Orchard Park, their stadium. I know it's, I guess, New Era Stadium. It's They name these stadiums every five seconds. But how I look at it is, watch Tennessee, give them a rock fight, and then the next thing you know, the Bills pull out a last-second field goal to win the game, and then next thing you know, everybody's not going to look at Buffalo as, oh, this overwhelming Super Bowl pick. I still think that, obviously, by the, the end of the year, they're going to be one of the last two teams standing in the AFC. We know the talent that Josh Allen brings at the position and him becoming a leader of that team. And yes, it should be a dominant year considering the, the division that they play in. And yes, we can look at Miami getting off to a good start, but as we all know, there's still 16 more games to go and you got to give it up to Buffalo for what they did on opening night. But that doesn't mean that, Oh, let's break out the red, white, and blue pom-poms and print up the Super Bowl tickets for the Buffalo bills to represent the AFC in that game. So uh, a lot of football to be played, but very impressive in that opening game against the Rams. Absolutely, you know, get through Kansas City first, and then we and and, and win a road playoff game. Then we That's can have it. a conversation. Absolutely. If you, if you can't, if you can't, here's the bottom line about about championship football teams: you got to be able to find and win games on the road. You know, yeah. Brady and Belichick didn't play on a whole hell of a lot of road playoff games, but the ones that they did play, they won. You know, the the two thousand and one. And two thousand and f- 
four AFC, yeah, 2001 and 2004 AFC championship games. They played in Pittsburgh. They yep. went in there and won. 2018 against Kansas City. They went in, they went in there and they and they won that game. You know, even the great teams, the great teams, the Super Bowl caliber winning football teams, even if you you got to find ways. I'm not saying you got to play in a lot of them, but in a small sample size, you got to give me something. Yep. Small sample size, Brady and Belichick, more times than not, found a way to found a way to win road playoff games. Belichick, of course, last year against Buffalo, notwithstanding. But e- even Brady, when he went to the when he went went in his uh when he went to the when he went to the Bucks the for his first year when they won the Super Bowl, I understand no fans. COVID twenty twenty walked into Washington and won uh in, in a wild card round. Second round, he walked into New and walked into New Orleans. The only time he's beaten the Saints as a Buck went in there and won. And then uh and then the championship game against uh, half capacity cried at Lambeau Field went into they went into uh Green Bay and won the win the AFC championship. The great quarterback, the great head coach, the great football team finds ways to win road playoff games. They just do. Yeah. yeah, and then go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you first. Oh no, uh, real quick. Here's a nugget for uh, your listeners to think that Mark Sanchez, who was on the New York Jets, and mind you, they didn't go to a Super Bowl or didn't win anything. They made it to two AFC Championship games, but he won four road playoff games. Mark Sanchez. So if he's able to win games on the road, then you would think the Josh Allen's of the world. You would think guys like that who under big time pressure that has to deliver in championship settings. If he could do it, then these guys who have a lot more talent than Mark Sanchez ever had, they should be able to do it as well. 100%. 100%. Now, let's get to the main one of the main reasons, if not the main reason I have you on, and that is Uh to discuss (laughs) the monstrosity and the heart attack that I saw on Sunday afternoon between your Pittsburgh Steelers and my Cincinnati Bengals. Yes, indeed. And And I made a list. As Marcus uh, Spears said on ESPN this week, I make my, I make my own damn graphics because what go. I saw from my football team was absolutely disgraceful. Let me count the ways. Okay, uh-huh. first of all, let's just get this out the way. Uh, right. Joe Burrow played his worst game as an NFL quarterback of his young career. It's just, yep. it's just, it's just, it's just <laughs> say it, call it what it is, tell it like the TI is, put it out there, out in the ether. That that's that's fact. Worst game he's ever played. And I love Joe Burrow. I have not lost confidence in him. Everybody's allowed a bad game, of course, but he was absolutely pathetic in the game. Okay, he got sacked. He he got sacked quite a few times in the game. Two sacks that he took, first two sacks he took in the game was completely, and I discussed this on Wednesday, were complete or two on Tuesday, were completely on him. The thing about Joe Burrow that I've come to notice and I've come to realize that may that works as a double-edged sword and can be just as much of a hindrance to his game as it does help him is that he holds on to the ball too damn long trying to make a miracle play happen downfield. If the play is not there, throw especially in drives where we have to put the ball in the end zone. If the play is not there, he keeps on he drops back to pass and the ball's just in his hand. He's just doing this, doing this, doing this. Cho, if the play is not there, chuck that thing away and be done with it. 
I mean, it's I mean, so the first two sacks that he that 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 occurred, I believe, in the open in their first offensive drive were complete were on were on him. The pick six play to make a Fitzpatrick was at what was 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 just terrible. That pass had zero chance of being completed. Uh, the third sack of the game that Burrow had was just a tremendous play by High by uh, your guy Highsmith. Um, he threw in the airtight coverage on a first and ten interception, five twenty-eight to go in the second quarter. The I forget, I forget his. I, I, I said it Tuesday, but I forget his name at this moment in time. The the Steelers a defensive back literally. He 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 might as well been. You know, remember when you were a kid and and your dad or whoever, or whoever would put you on put you on your knee and he, and he do the bucking horse and you and you bob up. I mean, he basically says defensive back was 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 glued to Tyler Boyd. Was glued. To Tyler Boyd's hip. Not wow. to mention you had you not to mention you had Minka and center field right there to me. So if Boyd does catch the ball head on collision, he possibly he possibly drops it and the play is a waste to begin with. The plays begin a waste to begin with anyway. Uh well based on that, because I'll be all night going through every single game. <laughs> right. Based on what happened in the first half alone, what before we and I'll do the Steelers side of it in a minute. From a Cincinnati Bengals perspective, speaking objectively, as the sure. great podcaster that you are, bouncing around New York City with the sweet mustache that you have, <laughs> yeah. give me an assessment of what the hell I watched from my Cincinnati Bengals on, on Sunday. I don't think it was a lack of preparation or a situation where they came out flat. I mean, you could look at it that way. Uh, I thought they did move the ball. I understand the turnovers killed them because it seemed like every possession that they had, it was either an interception, even the one which was a fumble on the sack by Cam Hayward, where it was uh, coughed up in the air. And as a matter of fact, I think Hayward was the one that caught the uh, fumble. But for whatever the reason, they didn't get their sea legs until the second half. And when you get pick, fumble, another pick, Another drive where they were past midfield, where Cam Sutton had an interception. Right. Yeah, you would just think that maybe they didn't look at the film to think that Pittsburgh was going to line up a certain way. Maybe Pittsburgh's defense is going to be your typical zone defense. They're not going to play man unless by chance they're going to do so. But as far as the Bengals are concerned, I look at that game as just being a thing where they weren't able to make adjustments, try to run the ball more. As we know, the Steelers had the worst run defense last year. And for whatever the reason, Burrow did not make good decisions. Obviously, like you mentioned, there was a lot of double coverage. The first interception, that was inexcusable. I, I get it that he probably felt a little bit of the rush, but that was just thrown out there. And Fitzpatrick just picked it off and took it to the house. So I'm not going to attribute it to them not being prepared or – let's say they didn't play throughout preseason. You probably followed that a lot better than I did, whether there was some continuity or whether they, they did play they, in that last they, game. They, just didn't. To... they didn't. Right. So not, maybe not you could even. There was a lot of competition regarding to fill, you know, the fill the holes for the offensive line and a decent part of the defense played, but for the most part, you know, 
he didn't, you know, burrow and mix it. He didn't see, I don't think, and I didn't, and because yours have been so damn good, and because I've been so busy, you know, away from the show and everything else, I didn't see little to no Bengals preseason games for the first time in a long time. But, you know, I followed it all the time with Twitter, reading, you know, uh, articles from uh, Bengals beat rides and everything else. It doesn't sound like that that the that the star offensive players played played any preseason. And I, what and the idea? Well, you know, well Burrow he had an appendectomy. We're gonna do okay. He had an appendectomy to miss, to miss the beginning of training camp. You mean to tell me he he doesn't even have to throw the ball? Even if he just has to go drive, so he just hands off the ball three times to Samaji yeah. P Ryan and call it a night. You, you know what I mean? Not you, you couldn't at least make something happen where Burrow with the offensive line builds. It's different doing it in practice or a joint practice. It is another animal in a football game and a real life game where the games count, the stadium sold out. People are, and I don't mean the degenerates betting on preseason football. I mean, everybody yeah. and mothers betting it. Fantasy football's involved. It, it, it's real. Like, like it, you're in the thick of it. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm not going to make too big of a deal about it. But if it was me, I'd have been like, Joe, can we, can we at least get a drive or a half where you and the offensive line at least go through uh, blocking assignments and, and go through the audible uh, coverage, uh, you know, code words. I mean, something because yeah. they they were dead, they were lifeless, they they were sleepwalking. I mean, it, I mean, I'm sitting there watching a game, and it's like this is the first game of the season. What what the hell is going on? I mean, it's like it's like what? It's it's a, it's Pittsburgh. Like I thought, and I said on my show on Tuesday, I said I thought we were past this, and I and I give Tomlin credit. He had his team ready to play. He had his team loose. He had his team fresh. They weren't playing with any pressure. Not that Cincinnati was on the flip side, but they were cool. He sent up high fiving and taking pictures and and and, and photograph and, and, and autographs with the little Steelers fans that made the trip to Paul Brown uh, before the game during pregame warmups. He's gifting his players with with black Air Force uh, uh, Maxes uh, yeah. the week before the game. I mean, Tom Tom is playing like he has nothing to lose here. And I'm not right. saying it's a, you got to be all tense like a drum, like it's a playoff game. But my goodness gracious, I mean, it's like, did they realize that they had the Steelers week one and it was a, and it was going to be a home game, sellout, first home game after they beat the Raiders to win their first playoff game in 31 years, first game of, of, of the first game of significance since Super Like, did, did they not, like, grasp the moment? Because everybody from Zach Taylor to Burrow and all the way on down the offensive line, it's 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 like they, they were daring the headlights sleepwalking through this game. I mean, I'm sitting up here watching and it's like this ain't 2020 anymore, guys. Like I thought we were past this piss poor, just play lackadaisical, just just no energy. Like, what is this? I thought we were past getting getting our getting our heads bashed in and and, and, and get and getting just all over the football field by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Really, really, really disappointing. That in case you haven't noticed, that loss bothered me. It really, oh. it, it, really it really bothered me because it's it's just no excuse for it. I understand you have a bad game, but 
everybody knows that if we play, if all you, if the game was literally the same, as far as like the mistakes that the Bengals made, but you just changed their opponent and they played, say Buffalo, Kansas City, the Chargers, we would have lost. That game would have been over, Jason, by half. Oh yeah. If that, it would have been over midway through the second quarter. I mean that that would have been. CBS find another game to put on because this because you got hella time to kill and this game was over before it even started. So yeah. it's like, I mean, I, and I give TJ White credit. He's an absolute menace on defense. He'll be out for quite a few, for quite a while with the with the torn with the torn peck. Um, and the fact that Pittsburgh not converting on a third down until early third quarter also helped out. Uh, also helped out Cincinnati as well. Not to mention the red zone defense. Only let Pitts only let uh, Pittsburgh put the ball in the end zone, uh, I believe once inside the once inside the red zone. Uh, there's a couple things about the Steelers I didn't like, which we'll which we'll get to. But um, uh, is there anything? Yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll let I'll let you respond to that because I cut a couple more things with the Bengals I want to scream about, and then we'll get to Pittsburgh. All right, so uh, yeah, so going back to Cincinnati, the. I just think they took a couple of right hands and there were days until they were able to get their bearings for a second half, which obviously they made a charge and, you know, tied the game late pretty much on the game's final play until the extra point. But yeah, it's one of those things where, like you said, you would think that you may have turned the corner. You would think that you've beaten the Steelers three games in a row heading into the game on Sunday and you were looking to continue to make that statement. You do not want to be that team that's arrived or the team that's going to automatically be penciled into the postseason or at least to a division title. And that's the one thing I haven't heard a lot of people say for whatever the reason, but the Bengals are now, they're the hunted. They're not the huntee anymore. They're not a team that you're going to take for granted or take lightly because of what they did last year and made it to a Super Bowl. Teams are going to know that they're going to have to play their best game against them. This isn't Right. We could talk about the bungles and some of the things that may have happened, but I would think the way their culture is now led by their quarterback, they're not going to be the bungles where they're going to go five and 12. I got to remember that it's not five and 11 anymore, yeah. where they're going to go five and 12, six and 11, et cetera. No, this team is going to be here to stay provided that they keep their core intact, which you think they will, but with the Browns, you know, obviously you got to hold your breath with that, mm-hmm. but for them to yeah come out the way they did, uh, to me, I was very surprised. They certainly didn't adjust. They didn't run the ball as much as I thought they would in that first half, considering that the Steelers had a lot of opportunities, especially on the defensive side. And overall, right, you can't be happy with the way they performed. We find out late that their long snapper had to leave because of a torn bicep. So when I heard that, I said to myself, oh, maybe there is a chance, an opportunity when the game was tied at 20, we saw what happened there, which I'm sure we'll probably touch on. And then even in the overtime, we saw that. And here's the one thing I will say, which a lot of people haven't discussed. Yes, I get it that as the clock was winding down in overtime, how the punter, Kevin Huber, didn't let time elapse to its final seconds to punt the ball to give the Steelers whatever it was, 40 seconds on the clock, because chances are they probably would have settled for a tie. But here's mm-hmm. the one thing, if you're Zach Taylor, for the 27-yard field goal that was about to take place in overtime, they were, it was third down and obviously 27 yards, so it's not as if it was 47. Mm-hmm. But knowing that you had the issue with the long snapper on the extra point, if the ball was going to be snapped high or slapped, snapped low or if it was going to be fumbled on the ground, pounce on it. Just sit on it. You have fourth mm-hmm. down. 
So it would have been probably a 31-yard field goal instead of a 27-yarder. You give the long snapper, let him take a deep breath. All right, he got his two bad snaps out of the way. Maybe the third snap would be fine. No, the snap is high. Huber had to place it down, and McPherson kicked it to Kentucky. So <laughs> where was the coaching there to say, hey, guys, yeah. third down. If the snap is bad, if it's not comfortable for Huber to place it and saying. spin well, well, what's going on there? That's why that, you kick on third down. That's a that's a you know that's yeah. I have not heard that. I screamed about it earlier this week, saying I understand why kick it if it's a bad snap. But I said at the moment, if it's a bad snap, you know, and the ball gets away, it's like a you know loose ball that right. you that you basically have have fourth down the back end of your pocket. But that is something I have not heard. And that is a brilliant point on your part. If Huber knew, if Huber with the hot and he didn't spin the laces around, which is why uh, McPherson shanked it, you got to have laces out, boys. But yep. if the snap was bad, you're saying basically Huber should have, like in baseball, when you intentionally like try to drop a pop up to, to try to see if you can double off the runner at second base, you're basically saying that knowing that the snap was bad, why not just don't kick it and basically, you know, pretend like you have no control of the ball, let it be a loose ball, fall on it, whistle it dead, and then it, and then it's fourth down, and then see if you have – and then see if on fourth down you'll be lucky enough to – or fortunate enough that he'll be able to get the snap off this time. And, and with Huber's case with the hold, spin the laces around. That is a brilliant point on your part. I have not heard that all week long. That's a brilliant point. The thing that I, that I screamed about – the brilliant point on your part. And the other thing I screamed about is this why are you kicking a, a field goal on the third? I understand the logic behind it, I understand the reasoning, but right. why why risk it? Why risk it? Third and eight, Burrow. I understand T Higgins out with the concussion, but you got Boyd, you got Chase, and Hayden Hurst had a hell of a debut himself. Third and eight. Why not just try to just get the first down so and then give the ball off the mixing inside the 10 five yard line three runs and just try to win the game without having to worry about field goal kicking why why knowing that you have a weakness why put yourself in a situation where you where your weakness could be exploited especially because the whole reason why we got to this damn predicament was because the snap was slow but then it doesn't excuse the fact why Micah Fitzpatrick went through the gap unblocked to to block the game-winning PAT to put the game into overtime right well, this is just Zach Taylor asleep at the wheel, but that is a that is a that is a uh, brilliant point on your part, and and the delay and the delay game with the that ball has got to be snapped with one second left on the play clock, which mm. if which uh, and, and I'm guesstimating what the math there would have given Pittsburgh roughly 45, 40, excuse me, forty nine seconds no timeouts by the time the ball is in the air, and you think by the time he catches it makes his own move, it's about what. Maybe 39, 38, 37 seconds left. Terrible job by Zach Taylor. And then, and and I didn't think it was a, uh, and I didn't think uh, it was a uh, touchdown at the time. But obviously, looking looking at it and knowing all you got to do is just get the get get the slitherous of an inch to break That's the break and it's a touchdown. How mm-hmm. come Taylor didn't? And the field judge messed it up. How in the world do you an NFL field judge literally looking dead ass on t- on or looking on top of the play and somehow do not call it a touchdown? 
I mean, but but again, that's what they have challenges for. And Zach Taylor rushed instead of taking his time, getting himself together, be like, guys, let's let's you know, not look up on a video board, nothing. Just we gotta run the next play. I mean, yeah. Zach, the issue was wasn't whether or not Chase got his feet in bounds. The issue was whether or not is he out at the half yard line or did he, you know, complete the catch, break the plane. It's just, it's just, it's just he 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 was lost. And, yeah. and also, and a caller brought this up. I heard on uh, on Mad Dog earlier this week. It was the same guy that when Chase burned Ramsey in the first quarter, he didn't get touched until the five until he got to the five yard line, right. and the ref somehow botched up the, the the spotting of the ball. The Bengals had the ball like at their own ten or thirteen yard line. They had to settle for three rather than having the ball at their own five yard line, and and they would have been able it been easier for them to put the ball in the end zone. It, it, it was just, just terrible. Nobody picked up the DB blitz uh, when Burrow got strip sacked and we got screwed over because of the holy roller rule. Um, uh, yeah. anything, anything else? Anything else? I'm forgetting. Uh, and uh, and Sam Hubbard's undisciplined offsides on third and one. Um, yeah, that was and, the biggest play of the game right there. When you think about it, I knew it was over as soon as he jumped offsides. I said, no, "That's it." Um, and I and I'll let you set up your st- I, I set up my Bengals, you set up your Steelers, and I'll uh, and I'll give you some counterpoints with Pittsburgh because there's a couple things that I saw objectively from a Pittsburgh's perspective that 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 if I were you, I wouldn't have liked to see, but I'll let you uh, set the table from what you saw from Pittsburgh, uh, all in all on Sunday. You know, this is a crazy thing. The Steelers had four offensive plays the whole game, that was it. They had the flea flicker Pele, which actually was surprised because Trubisky was facing pressure at that point, and he got it there to the sideline where they set themselves up in good position. This is when it was 7-3, but they only settled for a field goal. They had the Zach uh, Gentry misdirection off the right sideline where he went up for 31 yards to get uh, them down to the goal-to-goal situation. The third play, the touchdown to Najee Harris, and then the play in overtime where they got the free play from Sam Hubbard. He was offsides. Trubisky scrambled left, threw across his body to Pat. Fryer moved to tight end. They got themselves past midfield and then set themselves up for the game-winning field goal. That was it. Other than that, their offense was, as I like to say from time to time, a clogged toilet. That's how bad it was. <laughs> and, yes, we could look at Trubisky being efficient with his passing That's... numbers, but, again, nothing to write home about. Najee Harris did not play well. I understand late he left the game with the foot injury. Thankfully, it's nothing too serious. He may suit up to play this week. The other offensive, you know, Chase Claypool had a couple of end arounds, which or jet sweeps, which uh, in the first half actually helped out, but they snuffed that out, the Bengal defense, later on in the game. Uh, yeah, there was not much going on offensively, and even Trubisky came out a couple of days ago to say that, yes, we have to be more aggressive, we have to have more a killer instinct, which they definitely do. Now, of course, this offense is not going to be confused with the killer bees of Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, but they do have they do have skill position players. They do have decent wide receivers. Deontay Johnson made that sick one-handed catch on the sideline, which set themselves up for the first field goal that got doinked off the upright. I but thought that the game was, was over there. Oh, I, I know. When that... he made that catch, I was like, I was like, no. Like it was over, and then all of a sudden, and it's funny. I was I, I got my brother uh, who was home from co- home from college for the weekend, uh-huh. and he and he when they get up the line of field goal, he goes, "Jai, he's gonna miss this," uh, uh-huh. and I and I, I kind of like heard it and didn't hear one ear out the other, 
And then it's like the kick is up. It looks good. And it's veering, 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 bang. Yeah. And I, and I look at him and I'm like, if you don't go to Vegas and make <laughs> us some money, like yeah. it, it was unbelievable. It, it was, I, oh my goodness gracious. Anyway. Yeah. So, no, that's all right. So then, um, so yeah, that's the Steeler offense pretty much in a nutshell. So let's see how they do uh, this coming week against New England. Uh, defensively, what could you say? They were outstanding. And I said this before the start of the year. I said the Steelers, and not to say they're going to do anything this year, I feel that their high water mark is going to be 9-8. and eight. They'll probably end up being 7-10. and 10. And now with T.J. Watt out for six weeks, who knows? That could even be worse. But I knew it was going to be all predicated on their defense because they have – Key position players, whether it's your defensive line with Cam Hayward, your outside linebacker, T.J. Watt, your safety with Minka Fitzpatrick. I understand their corners. Cam Sutton is better in the slot playing nickel, but obviously he had a very good game the other day. Mm -hmm. And you got to give it up. Their defense was stout. Yes, it was bend, don't break, especially in the second half as the Bengals were ready to get on track and should have, of course, won the game there at the end. But this team is – Identity is going to be all on the defense because they want to win a lot of these 17-14, 20-17 type games as it was. It was 23-20. And that's how they're going to play. They're not going to blow people out. They're not going to. And look, they got five turnovers and they had to get a last second field goal to win the game. That's all you need to know about the Steeler offense and them being predicated particularly on their defense. So uh, you got to give their defense, I would say, a solid A. Of course, they let up late, but that was a lot had to do with the Bengals finally getting on track and the Steelers defense being out there, and they can't stop every drive, no matter how good they are. But, uh, yeah, just very surprised that their defense showed up the way they did with all the turnovers, with the sacks, the pressures, et cetera. And uh, I shouldn't be surprised because I know that this team is pretty much going to be predicated on their defense, not only just this past week, but moving forward, even without T.J. Watt. 100%. TJ White, just an absolute menace on the football field. Oh, yeah, uh, he he's... is just, uh, which is another thing that goes back to the Bengals. You know, you just played in the Super Bowl where you went up against Aaron Donald. And here it is, first game of the regular season. You're basically going up against the AFC version of him. And yeah. it's it's like, it's, it's, it's like no adjustments. No this, no that. I tell you, I tell you this, and we'll get to that, and we'll get to the game shortly. They better have a damn plan for Micah Parsons, or else yours truly oh. is is not going to be a happy camper come Sunday. Yes, it's a, about right. about the point the Steelers offense line. I wouldn't give them an A. I would give I would give them more or less of a B, B plus, and I'll tell you why. Their their defense on the Bengals' final offensive drive that ended up tying the game in regulation, they completely self destructed. I mean, mm. they they they. I understand T.J. Watt wasn't out there on the field, but they completely self destructed. Stupid penalties, uh, allowing Bro to to keep plays alive with his legs. I mean, they got after him all afternoon, and Burrow looked and Burrow looked like the second coming of uh, Christian Hackenberg, you know, for about a for for seventy five percent of the game, and then fourth quarter comes around, and it's like, oh, th- this Joe Burrow is back. Thank God, as a Bengals fan, but with this, their their defense self destructed in the final drive, penalties all over the place, blown coverages, allowing Joe Burrow to extend plays with his legs, throw the ball downfield to his receivers, and he had a nice uh, chunk run that I believe they might have had on the third down that kept yeah. Cincinnati alive in the game as well. And then also, you know, inside the red
red zone, how the hell do you not know that Jamar Chase is going to get the ball? I mean, why is Jamar Chase single covered man-to-man inside the red zone? I mean, that if you're the Steelers, your game oh, plan yeah. is if you're inside the five yard in that situation, your your game plan is this. With no JJ White on the field, mind you, your game plan is this. If he throws a touchdown pass to to uh to, to the wide receiver Thomas oh, or or throws a touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd, we'll live with it. If Jamar Chase man to man coverage beats one of our guys and the ball is in his hands and his feet are in the striped end zone, we're gonna have a problem. If any yeah. if any other Bengals wide receiver on the field catches the touchdown pass and 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 somehow either gets wide open or makes a great play man to man, you'll live with. You're a Steelers fan, and especially in the goal to go situations, you gotta take Jamar. You you gotta put the clamps down and take Jamar Chase out of that game. If they would have had done, they did it. The first they did it. The, the 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 second to last offensive goal to go drive that the Bengals had, what they couldn't repeat it a second time. I understand the yeah. Bengals made adjustments, but my goodness gracious, I, it's a, if you're a Steelers fan, I'm sorry for your defensive play as well as it did for for virtually the entire game. They turned back into a pumpkin during that final offensive drive and regulation. That was that was their worst performance of the afternoon. And if Minka Fitzpatrick would have went blocked on the extra point, it would have cost him the game. So I yeah. myself personally give him a B, not an A. Uh, Fryer moves two catches during your final offensive drive helped you helped you as well. I mean that guy had the clutch gene of Heath Miller uh, in yeah. in the overtime on Sunday. Um, and also with Pittsburgh offensively, with the jet sweep on third long made no damn sense to me, and right. throwing the ball on second and twelve at their own fifteen yard line uh, during that same drive with the end around, it's just, just it's dumb, dumb, yeah. just stupid football. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what could you say? But uh, you know. We can look back on all that now, uh, especially as a Steelers fan. And yes, that's something that you have to catalog and keep in the back of your mind, especially for later in the season or who knows, maybe even as early as this coming week. But as a Steelers fan, all you do is you count your blessings. And just like Coach Simon says, there's no such thing as style points. You win the game and you just don't throw them back. So that, that's all I could hope for, even though I aged 10 years watching that, especially over the last hour of that game. So. Yeah, it took it took ten years off of my life, uh, <laughs> my head too. Uh, speaking of taking years off people's lives, I think Nathaniel Hackett might have taken twenty five years off of Broncos. Oh, jeez. I mean, it's like yeah, that's. Uh, I I I I I'll, I'll let you have the floor because we what I saw was a complete was a complete monstrosity to the point where if you're a Broncos executive, you literally were justified in possibly firing this man after the first game. You that I'll, I'll yeah. let you speak on that because that, 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 yeah, that, that, I, that, well, that just made no damn sense. None. Yes. I'll keep this as, as tidy as possible, but for him to even think with all of his timeouts in his back pocket and with what was it on the clock, I believe there was uh, about a little over 20 seconds left. There was no way, shape, or form that this man should have kicked a 64-yard field goal. I don't care if it's Matt Prater, Tom Dempsey reincarnate. I don't care who it is. I don't care if – even if you have Justin Tucker on your team, you do you not think take about ball. it. 
you think about it if it's Justin Tucker, but it's no, like, of course, yeah, if there's he's... nobody else besides Justin Tucker kicking a 64 yard field goal shouldn't even enter your mind. I don't care how I don't care how well McManus was kicking the ball in pregame warmups right. five hours before the game started. I am not interested. You 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 gave away your future and paid him a fortune to bring Russell That's Wilson it. in here. A four, you can't get a fourth and five. Are you kidding me? I know. And then I'm sure you heard the numbers recently uh, on Mad Dog Radio to where, what was it? In his it was, career. I got it. I I, I have the numbers. He, he, I, he is 0 of 6 for field goals of 61 yards or more. I got it because I made right. sure. I made sure I pulled it up for to use on my show. The man, Brandon McManus's career history on 62-yard field goals or more. He kicked the 62-yard in 2016, missed it. 62 and 18, missed it. 63, 2021, missed it. 64, 2019, missed it. He kicked a 70-yarder last season and he missed it. That's five. And then Monday night, 64, he missed it. No, those are great stats there, Jai. Uh, but then the other thing I was going to mention, too, was that I believe in Russell Wilson's career where he's had a fourth down and I believe five or shorter. So maybe I guess fourth and three, fourth and one, fourth and four, et cetera. He's converted 69% of the time. Oh, yeah. How I do have, you I not? I that one, too, if you want it. I got, oh, really? I got, I got all the stats. No, I believe it. And it's one of those things where I get it. You could talk about him being a rookie coach, Nathaniel Hackett. And listen, his father, Paul, was not – a great offense coordinator either. I understand he's had his moments in the league. I understand that he had been on quite a few teams, but he was a guy that another one had clogged toilet offenses as well throughout his career, especially with the Jets, most notably when he was pretty much in my backyard. But yes, he did admit a couple days later in his press conference that yes, he should have gone for it there. And he had to do that because if he was able to justify that even 24 hours after he had a night's sleep and I'm sure he didn't sleep well that night, but for him to digest that and regurgitate it to the point where it's like, you know what, I got to trust my quarterback there. Yes, if he didn't admit that, then he probably should have been out on a rail or never made it onto the plane to go back to Denver after that loss. So hopefully it's a lesson learned for him. That's a loss where he could actually afford. And the reason why I say that is because it was against an NFC opponent. It wasn't in the division. It wasn't in a conference. So in the grand scheme of things, He's okay considering where Denver wants to go this year. But, man, that was just an awful display there at the end. And you would only hope, if you're a Bronco fan, that he does not exhibit that type of coaching as long as you're watching him on the sidelines coach that team. But I give you a counterpoint. Suppose they and Kansas City are in a tiebreaker for – the sixth seed. Right. And they split the season series, same right. record, same record within a division, and it goes all the way down a common opponent. Right. Chiefs have a victory over the Seahawks. The Broncos do not. That division is so airtight as far as competitive and the lack of margin for error that you really cannot be in a position. Some teams can in certain divisions and other teams can't. The Broncos cannot. If they have a team on the ropes and they have a game that they have a chance to win, they got to win the damn game. Period. End of story. I don't care 
about and I'm not and and I tell you this too. Russell Wilson needs to take a hit for this. You know, right. I, with the let Russ cook nonsense, all this garbage <laughs> that I've heard from his mouth over the last yeah. good two years or so. And the, and I wasn't the whole reason why he wanted to be in Denver was to have more say so with his coaches as far as, far yeah. as what plays to run and what offenses any of If you're Russ Wilson, this is your 11th season in the National Football League. Ten years ago, you were a rookie. This you have played games, whether they be Monday Night Football games or games in general, at Lumen Field slash Century Link slash Quest, whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. You have played. You have played dozens of of, of football games as an NFL quarterback in that building. You know the 12th man better than anybody. You know the Seahawks uh, game plan and schemes better than anybody. You know what Pete Carroll, what he thinks and how he coaches better than anybody in the NFL right now. Anybody. You got to tell your coach, you've won a Super Bowl, you've played in two, you've won many of playoff games. You're not an all-time great, but you're accomplished and you're and your career path is headed towards the Hall of Fame. You got to tell Nathaniel Hackett to coach. Listen, we we cannot under any circumstances send Brandon Menace up there out there to kick a sixty-four yard field goal when, yeah. when it's a fourth when it's a fourth and five and and we had and we've had the Seahawks defense on the ropes this entire drive. We cannot send. Brandon McManus out there to kick a 64-yard field goal, field that has in the last 30 years in the National Football League has a less than 10% chance of being of being made, of being converted, and you're paying me $232 million and you sold away your 20, your 2030s for 2022. We right. no, he stays on, he stays on the sideline. I'm getting the job done. Russell. Russell Wilson has taken upon himself. It's the same guy that somehow, some way, it didn't click between the ears for him when uh when 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 Daryl Bevel and Pete Carroll told him in his little headset and his helmet, guys, we're going to be running uh we're going to be running uh quick slants over the middle of the field when we have Marshall Lynch in the back in the backfield. He's got to take the hit for that as well. But for Hackett as the head coach and the quote unquote offensive guru. To, to even think of an asinine idea like that sh- oh. sh- should be a should be a federal crime. Yeah, no, exactly. And he should also take some blame. I get it that for everything that you said, and there isn't anything there that I disagree with. Uh, you just only hope that this was you get it out of your system. Obviously, the rookie coach made a terrible mistake, and the veteran quarterback should have voiced his displeasure over trying to kick a 64-yard field goal to win the game, especially when you have timeouts and when you have time on the clock. It's not as if it was that desperate to where, oh, this is the only option that we have. And hopefully they learn from that, and we'll see what happens moving forward. 100%. Let us continue. Uh, Are you worried with the Green Bay Packers? Worried about the Green Bay Packers? No, not at all. I'm one that feels they'll get their act together. I know that the performance there the other day was un-Green Bay Packer-like. But what are you going to say? We saw that last year in Jacksonville where they had to play against the Saints and all they did was put up three points. So if you want to say this year was an improvement where they put up seven points, I guess you could look at it that way if you want to have the Packer green and yellow colored glasses on. But, yeah, this isn't anything to me that's going to be alarming. And in fact, and I mentioned this on my podcast yesterday, and I'm sure you're going to like this, Jai. You ready for this? 
Yes. So Green Bay this week they have Chicago on a Sunday night. Now I understand it's a different team. A it's a complete not... bore of a game. Oh I yeah, no, even, that the, the biggest even... waste the biggest waste of time. Absolutely. But remember last year, week two, Detroit went into Green Bay on a Monday night. And Detroit actually hung in there for a half. I believe they may have led at the half 14-10, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it was 17-14. So, for whatever the reason, the Packers even got a sluggish start in that game. But then, in the second half, Green Bay started to steamroll. I believe they won 31-17, and they took over the game from there. I'm not trying to say it's going to be a carbon copy this time around, but considering the Bears have a little gas in their tank after beating San Francisco, they have a primetime game. Not that I expect much out of Justin Fields and the Bears, but who knows? Maybe they hang around for a half. Maybe Aaron Rodgers can't get in sync with his receivers. I could see this being similar of a carbon copy game that we saw last year where Green Bay played Detroit in week two, and then obviously they took off from there. I could see that happening this time around, but uh, to answer your question, I don't think this is going to be a situation where, uh uh-oh, the sky is falling. What's going to happen in Green Bay now? It's only one game. If they lose this game, then I'll have some concerns, but I think they'll do fine Sunday night. Yes, that is an overrated rivalry. I get it's the oldest one in the sport, but still, uh, Green Bay should handle the Bears Sunday night and come to a one-on-one record by 11.30 that evening. Speaking of the sky falling, is it falling in Dallas with the Cowboys? Well, I guess for their fans it will, but um, what did you expect? This is the team that, yes, they would be for a division, I get it that you lost your quarterback now for six to eight weeks. And as we all know, the NFL is not baseball. It's not the NBA or even the NHL for that matter, where they still have 81 more games to go. They only have 16. But here's the thing. The sky shouldn't fall because it's not as if this team had a Super Bowl of bust mentality. Yes, maybe for the owner and maybe for the quarterback. But as far as the fans, the pundits, people like you and I, We knew that this team was probably going to be competitive. Yes, they would probably be between them and the Eagles for the division. And even if they do win a division, do you expect them to go to a conference championship game or even a Super Bowl? Hey, we understand Uh, anything can get hot. But exactly. So if the Cowboy fan, who I understand, they want to look at it with the pom-poms out and think that, oh, we're going to go to Super Bowl. or Oh, that's all right. Once that gets back, we'll be okay as long as you play 500. Then you know what? Let them drink that Kool-Aid. But realistically (laughs) – how I look at it is that the sky isn't falling because the division is still winnable. I don't believe in the Eagles. I know the Eagles are going to be good this year. No, nah, I've been one that, as far as the quarterback, and I get it. If you're going to let him out in space and start running, I hate to say it like this, but if he's going to play like that over the course of 17 games, yeah, they're going to be successful. But I don't think so. I think teams are going to be smart enough to try to keep him in the pocket. If you keep Jalen Hurts in the pocket, you're going to win these games unless he's going to pull a 27 for 36 with three touchdowns and one interception. If he has that type of ability, then watch out. But we all know that if he's going to be able to run with the ball and I'm not even going to call him a Lamar Jackson light, but Mm -hmm. we know the game is going to be more predicated on his legs than it is with his arm. We saw that in the game against Tampa in the playoffs where he was unable to get out of the pocket. We saw the decisions that he made. Then I would think defensive coordinators are going to be hip to that. So I know we're getting off a little bit here, but I'm not a big no, believer in the Eagles. No. I actually picked them as an under this year. I picked them under nine and a half. Did you? Wow. Yeah, I picked. It's probably going to get down to the final week, but I, I want it to be a little bit different. But as far as the, the Cowboys will go, I look at it as because the division I think will still be winnable even by the time Dak gets back and Cooper Rush. What could he do over the next 
six to eight weeks remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, Super Bowl, no. But if they want to be part of the playoff conversation, I think they'll still be there once you get Dak back. Do you think uh, – what was the other thing I had as my sheet acting up? Um, do you feel – is it – where do you think the problems lie with Dallas? Do you think it's ownership, Jerry Jones, meddlesome, not giving a damn that because he just sees that his team is on television, Pac Stadium? Is it that? Is it the fact that – is it, you know, is it the head coach – is it the quarterback who I don't think is that that good? Is it the piss poor assemblement, not assemblement, uh, collection of of talent as far as lack of depth and lack of superstar uh, talent in the National Football League? That outside of the good quarterback, you need you need to win. You know, just because you have a great quarterback doesn't doesn't make you a shoe win if he's the only talent to speak of when you're 53, is it one of, is it one of those two things or is it all the above? What is the problem with Dallas Cowboys? You know, all those points are valid, Jai, a thousand percent, but let's call it as we see it. It starts with ownership. Yeah. When he got Jimmy Johnson to that team, what is it now? 30 years ago? Well, 1989 was 33 years ago. Yeah. So, I get it that he was just trying to make a name of himself. He just got that team. We saw what he did to Tom Landry, and I don't want this to be a whole giant history lesson, but <laughs> when Jimmy Johnson got control of the team and we saw the trajectory of that team, 1-15, and 3-13, and 7-9, made the postseason, lost to the Lions in a wild card, I'm sorry, in a division round, and then from that point on, they went to three Super Bowls in the next four years. Now, granted, he wasn't part of the last Super Bowl, but it was Jimmy Johnson's, it was Jimmy that Johnson's team. Yeah. Correct. So obviously he built that team. And of course the ego got involved for Jerry where it's like, uh, uh-uh. and he pulled the rug out from under Jimmy Johnson, even though Barry Switzer came in there and won a super bowl two years after their last one. And then after that, it's just been a disaster because he wants to be not only the GM, he wants to be the, uh, also the vice president of player personnel. He wants to be the owner of the team. He, I'm sure he probably wants to be the head talk show host in that town with his radio shows, TV shows. Enough. He wants and to be course, the head coach too. Speaking, I mean, how yeah. in the world after the game? I mean, I, I had I had to check myself. I was looking through my phone. Uh, Dak Prescott will Dak Prescott will have an MRI tomorrow morning uh, with this thumb per Jerry Jones. Yeah. What owner in the National Football League is giving injury reports on the starting quarterbacks after the game? You know, I understand that they stink, but Woody Johnson's not doing that, albeit the Jets are the Jets. Right. Uh, and he's a little bit too much out, out of the picture, a little bit too much. John Mara's not doing that for the Giants. I'll just go through the owners of the good teams. The oh, Rooneys yeah. aren't doing that with the, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kraft sure as hell ain't doing it with the New England Patriots. Uh, the Green Bay doesn't have an ownership. Right. Uh, Mike Brown or the Blackburns are not doing it with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, you're not getting a, a Stan Kroenke. You, you didn't get Stan Kroenke with Stafford or with Jared Goff. You didn't yeah. get uh, when Paul Allen, when he was alive, God rest his soul, with Russell Wilson. So it's like the Boldens with uh, the with uh, with with Pey- with uh, with Peyton Manning when they when they owned the team yeah. when Pat was alive. It's like what ownership? What owner in the National Football League? Arthur Blank not with the with the, he needs to stay the hell away from the sidelines. You know, yeah, at, at twenty eight three, yeah. But, but exactly. it's like 
he didn't do it with Matt Ryan. It's like Ursay, not not with not with Peyton and not with uh with, with Phil Rivers or with uh or Wentz last year. It's like no other owner in the National Football League pulls that crap but Jerry Jones. It's just and that, like why is yeah. he giving us injury updates after the game? Like, isn't that what McCarthy's job is? I said if I was McCarthy and I walked in and the first question I got out was about Dak's thing, and I and and I either didn't know about it or knew about it on my way to the meeting room after the game, I'd be a little bit pissed off because I'm like, hold on now. I'm the head coach of this football team. I'm yeah. the one that's supposed to come out and, and be the not saying that it matters who breaks the story in that sort of situation, but I'm the one who's supposed to be the mouthpiece to the media and and, and, and communicate what's going on as far as the injury with our starting quarterback. Owner needs to keep his owner needs to keep his mouth shut. Why, 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 why is he doing this? Why, 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 why? Is he that? That's part of the reason why I can't stand Jerry Jones. He is such yeah. a, he's just such a narcissist that it has to be the Jerry Jones show. If I was yeah. a Dallas Cowboy fan, especially that went back prior to the years of Jerry owning the team, I'd be pissed off because it's like, are we a football team or are we a reality show? Because if it's right. a reality show, we'll stop the games and we'll put our our our, 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 our off the field office crap. We'll put it on Bravo. We'll put it on yeah. E. We'll put it on VH1. We'll put it on HBO and just have a full season of hard knocks. I'm not airing any of the games with NFL films. I mean, it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And that's the problem because we could point the finger at Mike McCarthy. We could point the fingers at Dak Prescott. We could point the fingers here, there, everywhere, but it all starts with the owner. And until he's able to relinquish that, which I know will be beyond hard for him to do. He hasn't done it since Jimmy Johnson left the building. And that's what, 28 years ago. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately it's going to be the same old song. And sadly, the Cowboys, we understand. They're a marquee franchise. We understand what that star is. America's team, you want to break down everything, 100%. But the crazy thing is, and my cousin, who is my former radio partner, I'll say this and we'll move on, he is a, he's the biggest Cowboy fan I've known. And he's my age. And I said to him many years ago that after the Cowboys beat my beloved Steelers in Super Bowl Thirty. If I would have said to him at that point in time that you wouldn't even make it to an NFC championship game, let alone a Super Bowl since that moment, what would you say? He would say that I'm off my rocker. He would say that I'm crazy. He would say that we need to get you a straight jacket because you've lost your mind. And here it is. Since that day, January 28th, 1996, that team has not even made it to an NFC championship game during that time. That's all you need to know. And Pittsburgh has made it to, I mean, they've made it to, they've made it to the three, I believe that they, two to New England, excuse me, the three that they've lost to New England, they've made it to three, count Super Bowl 40, which is four, count Super Bowl 45, which is five, count Super Bowl 43, which is six. So they, yep. so the Steelers, their opponent, that franchise has been to six conference championship games, and in that time they've been to the Super Bowl three times and have won two of them. Yeah. That, 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 and this is, and this is, and all of those trips that I had mentioned in the Brady Belichick era, every they've won, they've been to three. One, two have appeared in sitting now. Ironically enough, 
when they go to the AFC Championship game, the team that they run into is Pittsburgh, is uh, New England. But you get the right. idea. I mean, that is just what a what a three ring circus that is down in Dallas. Oh, big time! The, yes, the Chargers and Chiefs game last night. You know, I Brandon Sanders got to get his got to get his wide receiver off the field. That's hyperventilating, waving, jumping, and screaming, waiting, <laughs> wanting to get out of the game. Um, it's it, it's just it, it's always something with the Chargers. Always, always, they can damn near play a perfect game, but the one mistake they make comes back to bite them in the ass. And of course, uh, uh, Staley not paying attention to his player jumping up and down, waving to get off the field. What happens? They call his number for some ungodly reason in the next play. No effort, piss poor route running. Herbert throws a pick six, and it's the difference maker in the game. What was your takeaways from the Chargers Chiefs game last night? <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. There's a talk about a tale of two teams, a Charger team that a lot of people think that could go to the Super Bowl, the Charger team that could be on the come up, of course, led by Justin Herbert, a Charger team that obviously reinforced their defense, bringing in J.C. Jackson, who I know hasn't played, but also um, Khalil Mack there. And you would think that, yes, that could be the trendy team that a lot of people would look at and say they have a shot to go to a Super Bowl. But again, this team, whether they've been snake bit, whether this team just has dumb luck, whether it's Anthony Lynn, whether even going back to Marty Schottenheimer, they've had seasons where they were 14 and two and they would lose in the divisional round or just have tremendous bad luck when it comes to a team with Phillip Rivers where he had to play on a torn ACL in an AFC championship game against the Patriots, which again, you didn't expect much out of them. They were going up against the undefeated Patriots. But again, I got to put those history lessons aside. This Charger team, to me, still doesn't have the DNA to win that type of game. Yes, you may see flashes. They did win an Arrowhead last year. I understand. And remember, even a few years ago, on a Thursday night, they won an Arrowhead where they won it on a two-point conversion. So, yes, they do have their moments. But for whatever the reason, it just doesn't stick. I don't want to call it a culture thing. I don't want to call it just a big, giant cloud over the Chargers organization overall. But for whatever the reason – they always seem to fall short. And last night was indicative of that, where Kansas City capitalized, play the game where the Chargers were going in to make the go-ahead score right there, knocking on the goal line. And what happens? It gets taken with a pick six the other way by Jalen Watson. And that, in a nutshell, is the difference between the Chiefs and what they've done, especially over the last four or five years under the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid-led Chiefs, where you have Brandon Staley and the young quarterback Obviously, still have a lot to learn. Hopefully, a lot of the lessons that will be learned throughout the course of the last two years, and especially even with this game last night. And that's not to say the Chargers aren't going to be a good team or not to be heard of. But again, a Chief team that is seasoned, the Chief team that knows how to win, a Chief team that has had these moments in these type of games before where the Chargers, they're still getting their feet wet. They're still trying to make those big plays. And even though we've seen a smattering of that over the years, Maybe not necessarily with the Staley-Herbert combo, but hopefully they will look at this game last night as a lesson to carry on through the rest of the season and maybe get them to where they want to go. And it's also, you know, you I saw I saw two things that were very interesting from the coaches last night. One, Staley, I understand he's got a better defense now than he did last year. As you can tell, Staley, going for it all those times last year, he wasn't as sugar happy to leave his offense out there on the field every single fourth down that came his way. On right. one on one of that fourth and two that they came across last night, I was shocked that I honestly Jimmy was shocked that he punted for it on fourth and two. And then right. also I think Kansas City 
Um, what I think they had like a, I think it was like a fourth and goal. It might have been right before the half, if I if I'm not mistaken. They huh. lined up for a chip shot field goal instead of going for it. I was like, <laughs> yes. That, that's the AFC Championship game right there. Still sticking yeah, that's right. in your coaches' minds. So of course. you could tell by them being so aggressive last season and it leading to their demise, to their team's demise and their team's ending to their respective seasons back in January, how it kind of altered their their calling and their sequence of of uh, of navigating through the game on uh, on Thursday night, which I found to be interesting too. Yes. No, I agree. You concerned about Herbert with his ribs? I know that just came out. Um, I guess it depends on how bad it is. I'm sure they're going to put a flak jacket on there. Um, I don't know if it's cracked, broken. I did see the report that uh, he has this rib injury. Um, <laughs> we're only in week two. At least he has 10 days to, to rest it between now and the next game. But uh, he's a big boy. He's young. Uh, thankfully, he's not this aging veteran quarterback that you know can't move or can't maneuver out of the pocket. But, yeah, you would think that if it's, uh, if it's severe enough, where it could hamper him, not necessarily his throwing, but you never know. One good shot there could he, become. He, he didn't want to get hit. You saw on that third and short, he he could have walked to the first down, but he right. got right up to the line of scrimmage. He was running. He was like, I can't do it. Because yep. I, I, I don't think he couldn't get the first down. I think he didn't want to risk getting hit. And I don't think he he he. And I think he also had the wherewithal to know that even that if I slide, I'm not going to be able to get up because, but it's funny with injuries like that, you don't realize how much like you need it or how much it's like a part of your body until it's, until it starts to hurt. Like you don't realize how much you need your thumbs until it either is jammed. You have a blister on it (laughs) or like something happens like where you where like you where like you try to protect it as much as you possibly can. You don't realize how much you need your your big toe on on your big toe or your or your or your uh, or the little bone in on the inside of your foot until something happens to it. So I think he figured that if I slide here, it's either going to hurt and I could pop and, and the pressure of me shifting my body weight could hurt it even more or. If I slide, I won't be able to get up. Or right. if I run for this and I get hit, I, I know I'm done for and I'm finished. So that'll be yeah. that'll be interesting uh, to keep. Now they got a they, they got a mini bot. The one advantage of playing on Thursday night, you got a short week on the front end, but you got the long some mini bye week on the back end of it. It'll yeah. be interesting to see if uh, if the bye week will help Herbert at all and how he will play and uh and um with the Chargers week three matchup moving ahead to some other uh week uh two items going back to my Bengals right quick with the Cowboys um for my honest opinion this is a do or die game for Mm. Cincinnati you start owing to yo ass has got a hell of a hole to dig yourselves out of season not over but it would it it would be panic button time especially losing to the Cowboys with 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 that horrendous roster the, the head coach is out the lunch and Cooper Rush starting. I mean, you cannot under any circumstances. You can, and I'll be even even if they win by like even if the game is close and win by like a field goal or a touchdown tempo. I'm gonna be rough on them if mm. there is no excuse why they can't beat the why they can't beat the Cowboys by a minimum of 17 points. There is this. There's, wow. there's no excuse. There's no excuse. They cannot. And I understand they got a good defense. They held Tampa to 19 points. I get that. But it, it, come on. 
If you if you want it, you gotta take the bull by the horns, and you got and you gotta say like, look, we ain't losing this game. Not only are we not gonna lose it, we're gonna kick your tail up and down the field while we're doing it. You 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 gotta. This team has got to send a message to its fan base and the National Football League. We ain't no fluke. They ain't gonna be in the Super Bowl hangover. We're here to stay. They gotta go out there and punch the Cowboys in the mouth. Find a way to shut down Micah Parsons and call it a day. Go out there, win, get, win this game, 31, 35, 17, 35, 10, be done with it. Like, th- like this should be, this should be just 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 checking it off your little you're checking it off like it's like a chore sheet. Get to, you know, I remember you were a kid, you had a oh, list yeah. of chores you had to do. Just, just checking up, just complete one thing, just check it off the list. Just keep just work your way down the list. It's you they shouldn't have to, they're not they should have to work for the game, but it sh- they shouldn't have to be like pulling teeth. Go to Dallas, take care of business on the week three. That's that's on to the Jets. That's how it should be. Uh, yes, you would think, uh, but we know that this league is it's always tricky. And like you said, if Micah Parsons is able to get some pressure up the middle and the Bengals do not shore up a little bit of their offensive line going into this game, um, who knows? Not to say it's going to be a long day, but you may not get that 17-point victory. Yes, should they win the game because of the circumstances with Dallas not having their starting quarterback, Cooper Rush there, and being able to at least keep him in the pocket, let him make mistakes. You could stack eight in a box against Ezekiel Elliott if you want, and then have Cooper Rush beat you. That would be the theory, or at least the game plan going in, if you're the Bengals, to try to do that as far as from the defensive side. But offensively, not to say you're going to have your way with Dallas, but you would think that with the weapons that they have and obviously them getting on track in the second half against Pittsburgh, that they'd be able to at least be a little bit better offensively. They got the bad mistakes as far as turnovers out of the way. That's not to say that they're going to give up five this coming week, but right. You don't think that their offense is going to play that poor. And yes, do I see this being, as I like to call a rocking chair, like 35, 17 game. It's tough because you got to go on the road to do so, but yeah, I'd be surprised if the Bengals fall short and do not win this game. But I don't think it'd be panic time. If you ask me, I get it as a fan. I'm sure it'd be a thing where the sky would start to fall or you'd have to wonder what this team is going to be like as far as moving forward. But I, I think even if they happen to lose the game and they lose close, I don't think it'll be bad. Now, if they get blown out in the game, then you really have some worries if you're like yourself a Bengal fan. But I think that they should be able to prevail and come away victorious on Sunday. Here's, here's what you do. You take what the Bucks did last week. I paid attention. You line up in those single-back bunch jumbo formations, those single-back, those I-form goal-line situations, and you stack the left side <laughs> of your offensive line, and you make sure that when you're lining with, you're either running the football or you're passing in those tight formations and lining up to get that extra coverage. You make sure, Micah Parsons, as soon as the ball is snapped, it, it's it's like he's got to put his hands up because it's like I I I can't do anything. I, I'm 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 getting triple quadruple cover. I can't do it. Yeah. When you line up the shotgun to pass and the Bengals line up in shotgun oh, a, a hell of a lot of the percent of the time, you make sure you take if he's that bent out of shape and and and, and that chip block bothers him that much. Great. That play is in his head. Fournette is in his hand. You take a page from the Buccaneer playbook, and when you line up in shotgun, you either do two running back formation with one run with two running backs side by side with Burrow. If one of them runs a route, fine. 
but the but the other one, or if you're running a one running back, you make sure that whether it's Mixon or P or Mixon or P Ryan that that they they chip him. Apologize right. back the pass, you chip him, stop his mo stop his momentum, get That's him right. off, get him off his path. And give bro as much time as you possibly can to hook the head up Chase, the head up uh, Tyler Boyd, the head up uh, T Higgins, who's who's practicing today, coming with it in concussion protocol. You make sure that you give bro as many opportunities to make big plays with his arm downfield as you possibly can. You shut down Michael Parsons, it should be an easy game. If you right. don't, you're in a world of uh, you're in a world of trouble. Case closed. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. You think uh with, with, what is your assessment of this Dolphins-Ravens game? You know, Lamar Jackson threw the ball great against the Jets on a stat sheet. I could, I could have, I could have gotten, I could have, you know, if it was him. I mean, I need a little bit better than the Jets uh, against the Jets. He threw the ball great, but on a stat sheet, a lot left to be desired, and he has the potential. He and Lamar Jackson has a knack of killing the bad football teams. He's got to give me a little bit more against New York football jets. That's just me nitpicking. Um, and then of course, with the dolphins, just beating the hell out of the, uh, of the New England Patriots last week at home, who to which the Patriots never played well in South beach and Tyreek Hill had a solid game. What is your thoughts heading into the dolphins Ravens game coming up on Sunday? Yeah, to me, this is more on the dolphins uh, just to see how, I don't want to say real they are because, again, it's only week two. We can't just base this all on one game. But this is a very interesting test for them because the Ravens, we know when they play at home behind their crowd and especially their record since Lamar Jackson has been the quarterback there, I'm sure if – off the top of my head, I couldn't even tell you what it is, but I'm sure it is very high. I'm sure whatever it may be, I, I couldn't even tell you. But if I had to guess, it has to be somewhere where Lamar Jackson is – maybe what, 24 and five or whatever it is. So for them to at least be in this game, it's all going to be on the arm of Tua Tagovailoa. We know that the Raven defense, historically, they're very good against the run, and we know the weapons that the Dolphins have. So to me, this is a very interesting test for the Dolphin team. Hey, if they lose the game, 20 to 17, granted that Tua doesn't make any bad mistakes, so let's say if it's 2017 and the Dolphins have the ball last and two is moving down the field, but then the next thing you know, he throws a pick in the end zone. Obviously, that's going to be magnified. But let's say if they lose a 2017 game or if it was 17 up and then Justin Tucker kicks a game winner at the buzzer, you'll live with that if you're a Dolphin fan. And I understand there are no such thing as moral victories, but considering all the pressure that's on the quarterback of the Dolphins this year, you'll take that. If he goes in there and wins the game, then who knows? You may have to look at Miami as a – team that we'll have to really keep our eyes on throughout the remainder of the season because again not to say Baltimore is like a home field advantage similar to Lambeau or similar to even I'll say Buffalo considering that they're fans and it's rabid and they're just dying for a winner there but for them to go it's, into Baltimore it's not in, it's not in it's not in as speaking as Baltimorean uh real quick it's not it's hard to win there it's yeah. not impossible. No, definitely it's a, not. It's, it's a challenge. It's a it's prime time's a little it prime. It is a little harder to beat the Ravens in prime time more than it is the one o'clock games. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to win in Baltimore. It's not impossible. No, agreed. And to me, it's going to be all on the Dolphins what they do because you figure that the Ravens they're going to do what they do, especially when they're at home. So, right, would you be surprised if the Ravens win 27-9? to 9? Of course not. But if the Dolphins go in there and win 
or even keep it close, that would be a bit of a surprise considering all the expectations of Tua, of the Dolphins this year and what they're expected to do, especially on the offensive side of the ball. 100%. Um, how do you feel your – and I'm only doing this for you because all right. the Steelers and the Patriots – a, I think that this is just going to be a defensive slugfest with a first oh. to score 13, 14 points winning the game. But how do you, how do, will we see, will we see the first uh, victory with the pit? Will we see the Pittsburgh Steelers' first victory against the Patriots, Sam's Tom Brady? Well, I'll correct you on that. How will we see it? And how will we see it more importantly? All right, well, uh, just, uh, again, the history lesson. The last time the Steelers beat Tom Brady was in 2018, late December, uh, and they actually won 17-10. to 10. But that's neither here nor there. I just thought to throw that in there. But more often than not, Tom Brady has destroyed us. So uh, us as if I'm on the team. But, uh, but no. You're, you're a fan. It is us. It is us. <laughs> no, without question. As far as this game is concerned, yes. The first to 13 is probably going to win it. How I look at this game is it's going to be low scoring. I know that Belichick's definitely going to be thankful that T.J. Watt is not going to be in the Patriot backfield throughout the course of the day. But let's see if Mr. Trubisky and what he said, killer instinct. I would only hope that – yeah, again, we we have to see it. Who knows with Najee Harris? He's obviously not going to be 100% even if he is going to suit up and play. They're going to have to make some plays. It's not going to be all on the defense week in and week out. And the Patriots, here's the one thing about the Patriots that not a lot of people are talking about. What is the identity of this team? Is is it still a defensive team? We know it's not offense. That's for damn sure. Mm -hmm. As we look back on the whole Belichick era, yes, early on when Tom Brady was a rookie in those first few years when they won the Super Bowl, yes, they had some offensive weapons, but nothing that's going to make a defensive coordinator stay up in the middle of the night, unlike the middle of the Belichick Brady era when they had Randy Moss. Yeah. Exactly. Wes Welker uh-huh. and even later on Gronkowski, et cetera. But yeah, what is their identity? And I understand people can look at all oh, of their defense, their schemes. You could put your eye at linebacker and will certainly be productive in a Belichick system defense. But that's the one thing. We know they're not an offensive driven team. Yeah, they're probably more of a defensive team because of the makeup of the coach. I get that. But still, who is the game record on that team? Matthew Judon? They're secondary. I mean, we could break their whole roster down, and you're not going to look at it to say, wow, this Patriot team is definitely a team you got to watch out for defensively or offensively or whatever. And I know if you ask Bill Belichick that question, he's going to say it doesn't matter. We're, we're all three phases is what's important. So we're not an offensive team, a defensive team. We're just a team collectively. But as far as the game goes, uh, who knows? I, I think it's going to be about field position. I think whoever wins – Turnover battle, that's going to be crucial because if you cough up the ball deep in your own territory and it gets converted to points, that's going to be the difference. These offenses are not going to go 90 yards down the field to score. So, like you said, Jai, the first – yeah, the first to 13, definitely take the under. And you just only hope that, as for me being a Steeler fan, that they'll be able to win and be 2-0 and in this early season. Do you think and do you anticipate – the uh, Saints taking one against the Bucs and winning what would be, what, their fifth straight regular season game against against the Brady-led Bucs? 
You know what? I will actually think that the Buccaneers will win this game because I'm sure they're sick and tired of hearing that. Hmm. And I get it. Once you're in the crux of the game, and let's say New Orleans punches them in the mouth, it's 14 nothing, and then their defense has their ears pinned back. They're trying to pressure Brady. They're trying to do whatever they can to jam receivers or to play a physical style of defense. We won't know until we see Sunday afternoon. But I would think if you're – especially Tom Brady, forget about just the team on a whole, Todd Bowles, et cetera. You're sick right. and tired of having to answer the questions, well – we understand that you beat them in the postseason in the 2010 run, or excuse me, the 2020 run to the Super Bowl. But what's going on in the regular season? I'm sure they're going to want to put all the naysayers, all the doubters to sleep and go into the Superdome, win this game so they could just shut them up. Because if they don't, they're going to have to hear it until they play them the next time down the road in Tampa. And it's just going to be this ongoing narrative. So for some reason, I think Tampa, although they weren't impressive on their game the other night against the Cowboys, but I would think they're going to be geared up, ready to go and try to put this whole story to rest about them not beating the Saints in the regular season. 100% agree. They, the, you know, ev- eventually the Bucks got to beat, uh, the Bucks got to beat the Saints in the regular season. They have to. They're a yeah. better, they're a better team, better quarterback, better roster, uh, head coach, you know, probably 50 50, flip a coin. You know, so, you know, this isn't Arians versus Sean Payton this time. But, you know, right. we'll see. The Cardinals and the Raiders. I think the Cardinals are dead. They had zero business giving the GM and the head coach, uh, Klingsbury, Clip, whatever his name is, a contact extension before the season started. When if it was my football team, this season would have made, made or broken whether or not they were going to be employed for me in 2023 and beyond. So them giving them them those two being locked up for the foreseeable future, as well as Kyler, when there's literally nothing, nothing to show for it outside of regular season collapse after regular season collapse after regular season collapse on throw in a playoff game when they embarrass themselves against the Rams. I mean, it is uh, there. So I I think this is has the makings to just for Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and the Raiders just put on an absolute clinic in Vegas on Sunday. Do you feel the same way? Yes or no? I do. I would think that after losing to the Chargers there on Sunday that they'll be home. They'll want to put on a good show. They'll want, of course, get themselves back into the division at one and one considering that the Chargers have lost. And obviously the Chargers have the early tiebreaker over the Raiders. But yeah, you're right on everything you said about Arizona. This is a team that you would think would have been on the come up, especially with an unproven coach, as we all know, and a quarterback drafted number one overall. We know he's short in stature, but he has had moments in the league where he's able to run. He's able to throw. He's has the tools, but we all know it's what's in the chest and between the ears. And what we've seen so far, especially over the last half of last season, this offseason, the contract scenario with having to put in the clause as far as getting four hours of film study for the quarterback and then having to defuse that and pull that out of the contract. Yeah, it's just obviously a bad look. And without having their top offensive weapon there and DeAndre Hopkins, that doesn't help. So, uh, yes, I would think the Cardinals are going to have some tough splitting ahead, not only just for this game against the Raiders on Sunday, but whatever else lies ahead for the rest of the season because – Yes, I totally agree with you on the coach, on the quarterback. They have a lot of proof. And right now, it looks like they're facing a 0-2 hole to start this season. Do you see a playoff team when you look at the Vegas Raiders? 
I do, but again, that's a team where they need to, for whatever reason, put it together. Not to say that they're world beaters one week and then they're like basement dwellers the next. Right. But they have the tools in place. Derek Carr is a solid quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. He's maybe just a slight smidge above average, but are you going to rank him in the top 10? Probably not. No, no. Exactly. They the have worst, he's the worst quarterback in his division by default. Without question. They do have position players. Obviously, Devontae Adams. They have a tight end in Darren Waller. They have a running back. They have pieces. And you would think that with Josh McDaniels there, and he's a big giant question mark too as far as the coaching goes. I don't but, trust him. Uh, without question. But we saw this team last year under Rich Passaccia, of all people, they played for him. And I thought Passaccia got a raw deal. They should have kept him there considering that with everything that happened with John Gruden and that the team was flailing middle of the season and that they were able to run a string of games together where they won and they were able to make it to the postseason. And we've talked about the postseason game in the past with Cincinnati and how they failed there down the stretch where they could have uh, obviously put the ball in the end zone. Yeah. Exactly. Didn't do that. But yes, I do see this team being a six or seven seed. I don't see them anything more than that. But again, they have to put it together and have to be consistent. I'll allow the chargers where they just don't have that history of being able to, at least recent history. We know the Raiders overall, when you go back to the 70s, but that was a long time ago. Yes. Let me see them put it together, and then I'll be a believer. Do you, uh, Jason, giving, doing a wonderful job. Last NFL game, then we'll get to the baseball to wrap it up. Vikings and Eagles. I think this has the makings to be a very good football game. You're not high on the Eagles. Are you high on the Vikings, especially after their performance against Green Bay on Sunday? High-flying offense. I think I think we could be in for a doozy. What do you expect on Monday night between the Vikings and the Eagles? Yeah, I think that the Vikings, although I'm not a big believer in Kirk Cousins because he's that guy where one week he could be that guy that just – is lights out. And not right. to say that he ranks below the tops, but you look at the stats, he could be very efficient. He could put the ball in the end zone. He could move the chains. He could do all that. But then he throws a bad pick at a bad time. That's Kirk Cousins in a nutshell. And especially in a big And moment. he's piss poor on Monday Night Football too. That also, right. So I would expect the Vikings to play well here. The Eagles, I talked about them earlier. Uh, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think that they'll be able to... Both teams, I feel, will be able to move the ball. It could come down to a situation where whomever has the ball last could have an opportunity to either tie the game or win the game. But, uh, yeah, I do like the Vikings this year. Uh, I didn't pick them as an over, but that's a team. Can they give the Packers a lot they can handle? Yeah, we saw that week one, but I really need to see that when they play a game that it really matters, when the money's on the line. And that's the difference of a Viking team that has not been able to get over the hump. Yes, they won in New Orleans in a wild card game a few years back, but then not to say they were a no show. They played well in the first half against the Vikings, but then Kirk Cousins threw an interception, turned the game around and they lost that game. I understand that's years ago. We can't talk about that. But when I look at Kirk Cousins as a whole, he's that guy that can play the position and is very smart, but you just have to wonder in a big spot, is he able to deliver? Will he deliver? I think they'll deliver. Yeah, I exactly. So I think Monday night will be a competitive game. And if I'm going to look at, the matchup, I will pick Kirk Cousins over Jalen Hurts this coming Monday. Interesting. Interesting. Before we get to the baseball right quick, 
how did you what did you think of the prime video tnf broadcast on thursday night you know what i was in and out of that because i was watching the mets but you know michaels is michaels what can you expect uh, he's gonna be how he is no matter whom he's calling the game whether it's on nbc whether it's on abc back in the day herb street actually was pretty good and i can only imagine there must have been a lot of jitters for him knowing that he's in the booth with Al Michaels. The guy's been around forever. Herb Street has never even maybe the one ESPN Monday he, night doubleheader he, game. He did two. He's done two NFL games in his life. He did Steelers Giants week one 2020. 2020, yeah, I remember. Did, and he did um Chiefs and Broncos week 18 back in January. So he's done two right. NFL games in his life. Yeah, and you know what? Listen, it's gonna take some time. I just don't wanna after one game, all of a sudden say that he was good or say he was great or say, oh, he was bad. It's still incomplete, but I think he came through pretty well. Uh, I'd like to see more, and hopefully they have a little bit more chemistry. And I also understand it depends on the game because I know later in the year, in late December, when you have Jacksonville playing the Jets, oh, that's going to be a tough one for anybody in to December, call. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah so real. let's see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, so far so good. I do like the combination of uh, Michaels and Herb Street. Do you like the idea of the – did you have any issues streaming the game? Uh, did you have to, like, go out and buy a smart TV? Did uh, And do you like the fact that the game is on streaming instead of over-the-air regular network television? Yeah, I'd rather have it on over-the-air regular network television. I'm not one of these guys that, uh, of course, like our guy, Chris Mad Dog Russo, with – the technology and not being up to it. Yeah, I'm up on the technology. I do have a smart TV. I have an Amazon Prime button on my remote. So I just hit click. It goes right to it. And yep. yeah, pretty much streamed pretty well. I didn't have any moments where there was glitches or there was lagging or anything like that. So I got to say that, yeah, it was successful, at least for this week. We'll have to see come the next 13 or 14 weeks. But uh, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it. But yes, do I prefer it being over the air? on NFL Network or whatever other channel on Fox, et cetera, 100%. Lastly, we get to Major League Baseball. What in the hell is going on with your New York Mets? <laughs> he says it with such disdain in his voice. I mean, why uh, weren't the Mets supposed to be running away with the NL East? They lose the lead for like a day. And now I sit up here looking, uh, looking at my, uh, looking at the MLB standings. So they got like a, a, a game, game and a half lead over the Atlanta. Bra I mean, it, it's my, is my guy Buck Showalter up there in Queens to see a sleep at the wheel. I mean, you guys are only one game ahead of the Atlanta Braves, and you, and you guys, and you guys have, and you guys have a cupcake, easy walk in the park schedule. I mean, uh. you guys, I sit there looking, looking. <laughs> I said, man, look at you guys. You're playing the you're playing the Nationals, the Pirates, the Marlins, the Cubs. Sooner, uh, next weekend, you got the A's. Garbage. And you guys like yeah. you can't win a game. I mean, come on, give me some optimism with the team that I am going to be rooting for once the postseason starts. What in the world is happening with your New York Mets? Yeah, their offense has been putrid. I mean, last night they scored seven runs against the Pirates. I understand that's nothing to go crazy about, but all I have to say is when you get swept by the Cubs, who had lost seven of the last eight road games, 
They were 55 and 82 heading into the series on Monday. The games were at home at City Field. It's not as if this was the 2016 Cubs of Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, and their rotation had Jake Arrieta, John Lester. It was unbelievable how they did not show up in the series at all. And offensively, they scored three runs in the – excuse me, six runs in the entire series. They were just putrid. And – once that was over with, and to think that they still had a half-game lead thanks to the Giants winning two out of three against the Braves early in the week. But hopefully winning yesterday, all they have to do is continue to win series. Because the one thing about the Mets this year, it's not as if they've had eight-game winning streaks, nine-game winning streaks, 11-game winning streaks, or even six or seven-game winning streaks. The one thing about this Mets team this year is that they've won series. And that's all you need to do because let's say if you win two out of three, and we understand they're going to be two-game series and four-game series in between – but do the math. If you win two out of every three games, you're on a pace to win 108 games for the year. So the Mets have been able to have that type of consistency the whole year, even with their offense being bad, even with Max Scherzer being on the shelf, not only recently, but for five weeks from May to late June. No Jacob DeGrom for the first half of the year. But what's really killed them is their offense recently. And I would have never thought in a million years that Starling Marte is pretty much the MVP of the team because once he went down with a fractured finger – the offense hasn't been the same. Yeah, they had a couple games against the Marlins last weekend where they scored a bunch of runs, but they haven't been able to muster any offense. So hopefully after last night's game where it was a rocking chair, 7-1 game, Carlos Carrasco pitched well, that they could get their offense on track. They could start scoring some runs. They have a tricky series in Milwaukee early next week before they go to Oakland. And it's going to be Armageddon two weeks from tonight in Atlanta, which is probably going to be for the, for the division where the Mets – all they need to do is win one game that weekend. And the only reason why I say the one game, I hope they win two. But if it does end up being a tie at the end of the year, they will have a season series victory because they currently lead the season series nine games to seven. So all they need to do is win that one game. And if it does end up that both teams are tied at game 162, they'll have the division. They'll play in the divisional series and they won't have to worry about a wild card. So hopefully now after last night's game, their offense, they could exhale a little bit. They'll be able to be a little bit loose, not grip the bat so tight and then go ahead and win at least two of the next three games against Pittsburgh before going on the road next week. Only the Mets could win 90 games by uh, September 16th and still have their fans feeling like they're 30 games out of first place. I mean, it's unbelievable yeah. how this how – this, <laughs> it doesn't matter who's owning the team – who the oh, manager doesn't. is, it's Absolutely like not. we're the New York Mets and we will make our fan base go through hell, whether we lose 100 games in a season or oh, win 100 yeah. games in a season. Our fan base at some point in time in the season is from about from July 1st in between July, especially in between July 1st and, I, and the end of the season in late September, early October, we will make our fan base go through hell. I mean, it, right. it truly, That's it it. truly is unbelievable. Even it, 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 is. It, it is. They could they could win three World Series in a row, and every single time during those three World Series championship seasons, Met fans would feel like they, they, they feel like they want to have to jump off a bridge. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's truly unbelievable. Oh, it's crazy. It is. Speak, sticking with New York baseball, the, the Yankees may be just as bad, if not worse. I mean, with the Mets, it's been a it's been a rough last three weeks. With the Yankees, it's been a last bad three months: July, August, and now September. I mean, to the point where where the they they somehow they had a fifteen game lead 
15 game lead and were on pace to win about 120 games. And all of a sudden, their lead is down to six and a half ahead of Toronto and seven games ahead of Tampa. I mean, there was to a point, Jason, where the Orioles were less than 10 games out of first place. It got that bad for them. What yep. in the world is? I mean, we understand that they can't hit. We understand now. Uh, Joey Gallo's out of the picture. Now it's what uh, it's what's up with Aaron Hicks. I mean, it is just the the the, the you know they miss Jordan Montgomery. Their bullpen is like it, it, it's. I don't even know what the hell it is anymore at this point. Aaron Boone is lost. He should have been fired five times before this season and five times during this season. It's like. It's it's. I mean, it, it, I thought the Yankees were going to be bad, and they had the first half that they had, and now it's like, this is the Yankees I expected to show up on opening day on April eighth. It's it, it's it's a literally no different than the garbage that I watched in twenty twenty one and some portions during the shortened season in twenty twenty. It's like what what is with this baseball team? Well. I know they have been a mystery to say the least, and they've been playing better of late. They've won four in a row. They won the back two games against Tampa, right? So they have played better, and but we all know it's all about October. So I've never been one to get too high or too low with this team, and everybody knows that I cannot stand the Yankees. I wouldn't root for them at gunpoint, but I do have to be objective to think that as much as the Yankee fan or the Yankee hater could enjoy what has happened over the last three months it all boils down to october and here are the big questions is garrett cole going to show up what is aaron boone going to do to ruin a game whether he's going to take a pitcher out too early or put in a certain reliever or what have you on top of that is aaron judge with this magical season that he's had is he going to perform when the money's on the line same for Giancarlo stanton same for glaber torres a lot of these guys in big spots, they haven't been able to prove themselves. Now, Stanton, I know, had a great 2020 where he hit, I believe, uh, five consecutive games where he hit a home run. But again, this Yankee team, especially this group, they have a lot to prove. And we know their pitching right now is up in the air. Do you really trust Jamison Tyon? Do you trust you even know? Nestor Cortez? It, right, all these you used things. To and it's Cortez, and now it's like, it's, it's like their world has turned just completely sideways. Exactly. So, and then the bullpen, yeah, who's your closer come October? Is it going to be Clay Holmes? Or are you going to bring in Oroldis Chapman to pitch the ninth inning, which I'm sure the Yankee fan does not want to see, and I wouldn't put him in there. But there's a ton of question marks with this team. But we all know that they do have the talent. They do have the capability to make a World Series run, absolutely. But with the manager, the way he's performed, especially in big spots, and then obviously with Garrett Cole, their top players, etc., do you really trust them when – the money's on the line, and right now, I'd have to say, I do not. Cole, Cole is very overrated, too. Very overrated. Yeah. He's no, he's no Verlander. He's no DeGrom when he's healthy. He's right. a very, very overrated starting pitcher. Very. And when things don't go his way, he blames everything from Billy Crystal to the manager not taking him out of yeah. the game to, I mean, it's amazing how many excuses this man pulls out of his ass for him exactly. not showing up every single fifth day, making no, the ungodly amount of money he's making to throw a baseball essentially once a work week. I mean, it, come on, it's it's it's, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. Do you do you think Aaron Judge will get the sixty-two home runs? Do you think he'll win the triple crown? And is he your American League MVP? 
Uh, he was American League MVP by the end of July, if you ask me. Yes, uh, I'm saying that I don't care what Shohei Otani does. I, I don't care know. Don Alvarez. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. This guy's had a not a monster season. This guy's had an all-time season. So give it, just give it to him now. Don't even have the ceremony. Don't even put the votes in. Just give it, give him the award at this very moment. As far as hitting 62, listen, I think he's going to do it, and rightfully so. But here's the one thing. As a longtime baseball fan and obviously a lifelong sports fan, I just hope that the media gives him and also Albert Pujols their due if he does reach 700 home runs because, and I know I'm the old man, get off my lawn, I get that, but You're the, the new r- cycle. No, it's right. It's 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 the right take. But go ahead. Yeah, but the new cycle is so geared to the NFL that it's sickening because. They'll find a story on all these debate shows, all these take shows, hot take shows, whatever it is. They'll always find something. It could be, oh, Aaron Rodgers popped a shoelace during practice, and therefore he screamed at his equipment manager, oh, what does this mean as far as the culture or the locker room for the Packers are? They'll talk about that before they'll talk about Aaron Judge. He's at 61 right now, and tonight he could probably break it here on the last day of the season. That is going to be like the third or fourth story, but if it's Tom Brady with Giselle, if it's Aaron Rodgers with the uh, with the receivers, if it's such and such team on such and such, whatever it is, the NFL just exhausts the entire sports landscape. And I understand it's the it's unbeatable, it's impenetrable, it's the shield for a reason. You could mm-hmm. ding it, you can maybe even bend it, but you can't penetrate it. So with that, all that being said. I think he's going to get to 61 to Ty Maris and surpass that to become not only the Yankee all-time home run single season record holder, but also the American League all-time single season record holder. And do you, and you do think Maris is the single season home run king over Bonds, correct? I do. I understand in the record books it's going to show Bonds 73, but let's call it as we see it. Again, being a lifelong baseball fan, of course, I know it's going to be Bonds, but in my heart of hearts, in my head, it's Bonds. In my heart, it's Maris. Do you uh, and the Triple Crown? Do you think he'll get it? He leads uh, the he leads the American leagues in home runs and RBIs by by a good solid margin. Where I think it's safe to say no one will catch him, but with at batting average, he's only a few ticks away. So not only is it will he get the sixty two? I, I tell you something right now. If he hits 62 home runs and wins the triple crown and the MVP, I think it might be safe to say that that may be the greatest single season for one position player's individual accomplishments in the in the last 25 in the in the, in the last in the last 20 25 year history of Major League Baseball. I think and oh, certainly question. and certainly the best single season of the 21st century. I mean, without without even thinking, of it. he wins triple crown, breaks ties and breaks Roger Maris for even if you want to say Bond is, is the best, Maris still holds the American League single season record and still holds the Yankees franchise single season record. He does he does that and wins the MVP just as the cherry on top. You want to talk about betting on yourself? I mean, right. it doesn't, it doesn't, it, the Yankees could flame out in the first round. Just speaking on a judge's individual accomplishments, that could be the great, that, that honestly, 
could be top five greatest individual season by position player in the 150 plus year history of Major League Baseball. Thousand percent, man. And, and I listen, I don't think he's going to get the triple crown, but even if he falls short of that, it still has to be ranked as one of the top, especially in the modern day. I mean, I understand you want to go back to the 20s with Babe Ruth and even Ted Williams, et cetera. But when we look at at least maybe the past 50 years of Major League Baseball, by far, it would be, it would definitely have to rank up there as one of the all time great seasons. And a couple quickies. I think the Ori. I declared the Orioles finished earlier this week. They they yeah. had to work to the uh, to sweep the Nationals in a two game series. Looks like this game on Apple TV Plus against the Blue Jays will mean something for back. Um, and they and we understand, you know, the great season. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but you know, they they've had a September to forget, and they better go out up there if they think they have any chance. Four and a half games out and punch the Blue Jays in the mouth and sweep them. If 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 they if yeah. chaos is really truly coming, then go up to Toronto, sweep them, come back to Baltimore to play the Tigers, then we can have a conversation. Um, and yeah. with Albert Pujols' quest to 700 home runs, um, he's at 697, I believe. I think yeah. he'll get it. What is your two cents on on that story? The fact that a player is going to get 700 home runs cleanly. I think is I said it about a month about a uh, about a half a month ago to, going on to a month ago. I think the fact that we have two players that are going to that are on pace to break two uh, not well one to break and the other one is a huge milestone. The fact that we have two players in the sport that are going that are doing this at the same time and are doing about it, uh, doing about it as far as we know at this moment in time cleanly without the help of steroids i understand it may not have as much juice as you said nationally within the sports media but from our, but within our own corner of the world as baseball fans lifelong it's very very refreshing for the sport it is and i hope he does and i think he'll get to do it because i believe that even their last four games and he's murdered the pirates this year i think their last four games of the season are against pittsburgh so uh, who knows? I'm sure they're going to give him every opportunity, especially with the vision is going to be wrapped up. They have a comfortable lead in the National League Central over the Brewers. And and that's good because I would think that if it was nip and tuck with them and the Brewers, it would probably be a scenario where they would have to pick their spots with Pujols. But they know that they have that cushion. They could put him in there. Of course, he's going to face every left-hander known the man because he's just mashed against lefties. Uh, and yes, for everything I said before and what you said too, Jai, I truly think that he's going to get there. It would be enormous for the sport. I get it that Bonds, whatever it was, 16, 17 years ago, got to 700 home runs. And we all know Bonds and the cloud and stigma that hangs over him. If the sports media and just sports in general just looks at this, we're never going to see this ever again. And that's the other angle you have to look at this. Who currently right now in Major League Baseball is going to approach anywhere near 700 home runs? It's not Bryce Harper. It's not Giancarlo Stanton. It's not Mike Trout. It's not even going to be Aaron Judge. It's not going to be Pete Alonso. Name anybody. None of those guys are going to come close. And I believe, off the top of my head, I think Giancarlo has about 350 home runs. He's 32 years old. He still has to have him halfway there. 500 would be, it would be a little bit of a stretch. Exactly. So that's my point. They need to look at this and I get it's a milestone. It's not an all time record, but still he'll be just the, obviously you got to count bonds, 
the fourth guy to hit 700 home runs in the history of the sport. And if that's not going to be celebrated as well as Aaron Judge not making it, whether equaling 61 or surpassing that, then either baseball's out to the woods or the sports media just hates baseball. So I just hope both guys do it and it gets celebrated. Oh, I know I'll celebrate it on my podcast. That's a damn sure. But if nobody else wants to do that, then shame on them. I'll do, and I'll be right there with you celebrating it uh, as well. I hope they both, uh, just as a baseball fan, I hope they get it uh, as well. Had a lot to talk about, but hey, a lot has happened, and we also have to give our pal Jason plenty of time <laughs> to uh, say what's on his mind. He did an excellent job. Jason, nice to have you back on, pal. I uh, greatly appreciate you for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime, Jai. And uh, yeah, look forward to uh, somewhere down the road, uh, reconnect with you again here on this platform. Absolutely. The host of the J Reels podcast, Jason Nazarian. We'll be back with the Amatelica TIS podcast in just a moment. Welcome back to the uh, Metallica TIS podcast. Thanks again to Jason Nazario, host of the J Reels podcast, for taking time out of his day to uh, chop it up uh, with yours truly, talking NFL football and his uh, New York Mets, along with some other things within the realm of Major League uh, Baseball. So it is about that time in the program. A Friday before the NFL, before another week of the National Football League, week two, one down, 16 more weeks of the NFL season to play with, week two picks against the spread in the league where they play for pay. Game number one on the slate for week two, as my little list is concerned, is the Miami Dolphins taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens, three and a half point favorites coming off of their week one victory up in Jersey against the Dolphins division rival New York Jets, while the Dolphins coming off a week one win of their own at home against the New England Patriots. Give me the... Baltimore Ravens win this game by the final score of 24 to 14. The New York Jets, speaking of the Ravens, took uh, their first uh, loss of the season. What else is new? At the hands of the Ravens, aforementioned last week, while Cleveland coming off of an emotional and thrilling last second victory, courtesy to Cade York making a 59 yard 
gem of a field goal to knock off uh, the Carolina Panthers in the Baker Mayfield revenge game. The Cleveland Browns are favored by, favored by six. Give me the Cleveland Browns to start the season 2-0. Who would have saw that coming? Beating the New York Jets by the final score of 27-17. to The Washington Commanders coming off of a week one victory beating the, beating the Jacksonville Jaguars at home. Their first road game is up in, motor, up in the Motor City taking on the Detroit Lions who are coming off of a, a week one loss at the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles. Detroit's favorite minus two and a half. Give me the Detroit Lions to be at 500 heading into week three. Give me the Lions to win this game by field goal 21 to 18. The Indianapolis Colts are favored in this game coming off of a tie. Yes, you heard that right. A tie against the division rival uh, division rival Houston Texans in week one last week. They still technically are starting the season 0-0 with a 1 at the, end, at the end of that record. They are favored by 4 against the Jacksonville Jaguars that lost last week at the hands of the Washington Commanders aforementioned. Give me the Colts to go 1-0-1 to start 101 to start the 2022 season. By the final score, the Indianapolis has not won in Jacksonville in quite a long time. I know Carson Wentz is not there, but the rest of those guys, Frank Wright in particular, return to the scene of the quote unquote not that it that not that them losing was a crime, but the fact that they didn't show up ought to ought to be a crime. Uh, that of a uh, of a federal punishment and the, and them not showing up uh, against Jacksonville back in January of last season. Give me the Colts to finally win Jacksonville and snap that little losing losing streak that they have going by a final score of 27 to 24. You have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that favored by a field goal taking on the New Orleans Saints. As we mentioned with Jason, the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers have not won, have not beaten the Saints in a regular season game at all in the last uh, in the previous two seasons. They are four up. They are excuse, well. The uh, they are four up and four down. Four tries to beat the Saints. Uh, beat the Saints in a regular season. They have failed all four times, including the playoff game in 2020. They're one and four against the Saints. They're favored by a field goal coming off of their defensive slugfest against the Dallas Cowboys last Sunday night. Give me the Bucks to win by a field goal by the final score of 2017. Saints coming off of that emotional last second uh, comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, this being their home opener against the Bucks. Carolina Panthers coming off of a, a, a rough loss at the hands of the Cleveland Browns last week. They are two-and-a-half-point underdogs uh, to the New York football Giants who are coming off of a, an emotional, clutch, gutty victory in Tennessee against the Titans. Their favorite minus two-and-a-half. Give me the New York football Giants to go 2-0. and oh. What? Yes, the New York football Giants, although you know I can't trust Daniel Jones as far as I can throw him, and Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. I think this is the beginning of a, of a culture change and an attitude mindset with the Giants. Home opener for them. That crowd is going to be energetic, a new life about them that hasn't been seen uh, within that New York football Giant fan base in quite a long time. Give me the Giants to win by a field goal by the final score of 24-21. to 21. The New England Patriots are favorite minus a point and a half against the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
Patriots didn't even really show up in South Beach in their week one loss against the Miami Dolphins while the Steelers, well, we know what happened with them uh, their last time out in week one. Give me the Steelers and their home opener to win in a defensive slugfest by, by the final score of 14-10. to 10. The Atlanta Falcons coming off of yet another collapse with Elsa's new against the New Orleans Saints last week. They go to SoFi where the where the Rams have had quite a have had about what 10 11 days to think about uh their uh, I won't say embarrassing but an underwhelming performance in a kickoff game against the Buffalo Bills last Thursday night. They favored minus 10 and a half. Give me the Rams to win in a laugher by the final score of 35 to 10. And the Seattle Seahawks coming off of that emotional, shocking, and if you're a Seahawks fan, uh, heart-wrenching heart Monday night victory against the Denver Broncos on, on uh, earlier this week. They go to San Francisco for the 49ers home opener in Santa Clara at Levi Stadium. Their favorite San Francisco is minus 9.5. Expect this game to be a defensive slugfest as well. Uh, Trey Lance not making a whole hell of a lot of big plays downfield. I got the 49ers, though, winning their first game of the season, proving a 1-1 on the season by the final score of 17-14. My Cincinnati Bengals are favorite, minus, are favorite minus 7.5. You listen to the show, you know how they did last week against the Steelers. They go to Jerry World in, uh, in the Arlington, Dallas, Fort Worth area uh, to play the Cowboys at AT&T Stadium. Dallas coming off of a uh, emotional week for it just being the first week. No Dak Prescott for the next uh, six weeks uh, at bare minimum. Uh, their offense was uh, a lot left to be desired for their offense. Defense did the best they could, but they allowed 19 points too many to the Bucks last Sunday night in their uh, week one loss to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It is a bounce-back game designed perfectly, and, and it was orchestrated perfectly from the, uh, from the football quote-unquote gods themselves. Uh, from the from the uh, from the Lord above, it was a gift that the Bengals get the Dallas Cowboys week two off of off of that loss. That if you're a Bengals fan, such as yours truly, left a not a bad, a horrendous taste in your mouth. They finally get a chance to bounce back, and what way against what worst opponent? And the Dallas Cowboys were going to be starting Cooper Rush at quarterback. Uh, we all know the story about how how substandard their offense is and their defense. While better, you can't put you can't put the ball in the end zone as we saw Week One against Tampa. Eventually, the better t- the team with the better offense is going to find a way to make one, two, three, four, five plays throughout the sequence of a 60-minute four-quarter football game in order to get some points on the board, put the ball in the end zone once or twice, and then let the defense hunt. Give me my Cincinnati Bengals. This is a pick that I feel a lot more confident in. I know I I said that last week, but Pittsburgh is a well-coached football team for all their flaws. The Dallas Cowboys are not. Giving the Cincinnati Bengals the bounce back to win their first game of the 2022 regular season by the final score of 34-10. Houston Texans tied the Colts in their uh, week one uh, in their week one matchup last Sunday. They uh, go to Denver to play the Broncos in their home opener. Coming off of that fiasco on Monday night, uh, the the excuse me, Denver's favorite minus nine and a half. 
Give me the Broncos to get Nathaniel Hackett's first win as the Bronco head coach, as a head coach of National Football League, and Russell Wilson's first victory as a Denver Bronco by the final score of 31 to 14. The Arizona Cardinals are still licking their wounds after Kansas City beat the brakes off of them uh, in the desert last Sunday. They go to Vegas for the Raiders' home opener. Uh, their favorite minus five and a half, coming off of their loss to the Chargers last. Um, Last Sunday, uh, last Sunday afternoon, give me the Raiders to bounce back in a big way by the final score of 31 to 13, and the Chicago Bears coming off of their Week One upset victory over the San Francisco 49ers in a monsoon at a Soldier Field, uh, head to Green Bay, Wisconsin, an absolute bore and a snooze fest. We've been over these these uh, Bear Packers Sunday Night Football games to last a lifetime ad infinitum just within the last few seasons alone. They head to Green Bay for Sunday Night Football to put us all to sleep. Uh, Green Bay's favored by 10 points after their offense had no answers for Justin Jefferson and the crew up in uh, Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium last Sunday in Week 1. Give me the Packers to bounce back in a, and in a big way by the final score of 38-10. to 10. Tennessee Titans are favored, or excuse me, the Buffalo Bills are favored in their home opener Monday Night Football against the Tennessee Titans uh, as the Titans coming off of their uh, heartbreaking week one loss to the, uh, to the New York Football Giants. Buffalo's favored by 10 points coming off of their, uh, their um, impressive week one victory in the kickoff game against the Rams. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game by the final score of 28 to 28 to 14. And the Minnesota Vikings against the Philadelphia Eagles as the second Monday night football game. As I said, coming off their aforementioned uh, domination against the Green Bay Packers, they go to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love for the Eagles home opener, who are favored minus two, Justin Fields, or excuse me, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts and the crew coming off of their week one victory against the, uh, against the Detroit Lions on the road. Give me the uh, Philadelphia Eagles win this game by three by the final score of 28 to 25. Couple of notes and items to pay attention to as you head into the weekend. One, if you want to watch uh, Orioles and uh, Orioles and Blue Jays, which thanks to them sweeping the lowly Nationals, as we discussed with Jason, uh, still somehow some way means something. And the Orioles' best ticket to make it into the postseason is to two out of three is one thing, but the but them only winning one game out of four uh, against Toronto when they came to Baltimore. Uh, during the week of Labor Day, puts them behind the eight ball. They, if they want to show me something, they got to go out there and sweep Toronto this weekend. Uh, my optimism level on a scale of one to ten is at is at a three and a half towards a four. Um, so as far as making the play, when it comes to whether or not I think they'll make the playoffs, they want to put that optimism level to to an eight, to a seven and a half, to an eight. They go out there. Don't let Boba. If I, I should Bobachet should not be raking the ball all over Rogers Center this weekend. Don't let him and don't let Vlad Jr. beat you. And if and if you 
decide early in the game to pitch to Bo Bichette, and he comes back and he bites you in the ass and he either hits a uh, an RBI double off the wall or hits a home run that that ties the game or puts Toronto out in front. He better not see not a not another hittable pitch that he can drive the remainder of the series. Brandon Hyde does not exactly, you know, heed to the caution signs, whether whether it's Judge, whether it's Glaber Torres for the Yankees when he when he was when he was uh when he was a uh, you know, whether it's Judge, whether it's Torres, whether it's uh whether it's with uh, Toronto with Bo Bichette, you know, he lo- he just like, you know, he if he's hitting you starting pitching all over the ballpark like it's batting practice. You know, by by the by the by midway through the second game or in the four game series, come come to be come a midway point of of the second game of the doubleheader. You know, maybe it's time to stop pitching to him. So if that if the same thing happens, God forbid, knock on wood. If you if you are serious about wanting to make the playoffs and not punting on the last few weeks of the regular season, you don't pitch the Bobichet the minute he he says. I'm still hot and I'm still capable of swinging a hot stick. You don't pitch to him. Same thing goes for Vlad Jr. if he goes off tonight. Same thing. Want to prove to America that you're still in this, that the chaos is, is that the quote-unquote chaos is coming? You go into Toronto and you sweep the Blue Jays. Starting pitching, keep them in the game. I don't, I don't and by keeping the game, I don't mean, you know, three, four, Five and you take no, go in there and pitch like your life, like your life and your career depends on it. You go out there and you give us a strong five and two thirds, a strong six seven innings, and let and let and let the bats hunt. And the bats which were all right in uh, which were all right in D.C. Not anything to write home about, albeit the big time seventh inning they had on Wednesday in the six two victory. Go out there and I don't want you. I, you can at this point in the season, you guys are very, 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 very blessed that it is September 16th. You are 75 and 67, and you are somehow with, within reach with about how many games left? You're four and a half games back in the final wild card spot. The final one, not the, 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 the final one. You are, if you do the math, you are what? You are about five. You're about four and a half games back of the final wild card spot, and about five games of 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 the second wild card spot. Realistically speaking, because Seattle and Toronto and Tampa Bay, there's only a half a game between all three of those teams. You guys are really within five spots back of Seattle, who's eighty and sixty-two. And a sweep here, let's just say for sake of conversation, Seattle, Tampa Bay, uh, let's see who they play. Seattle loses to, uh, Seattle lays an egg in Anaheim this weekend, and the Rangers beat up on, and the Rangers beat up on, on Tampa, and the Orioles sweep, sweep the Blue Jays. They head into the, they come back home to Camden Yards at the beginning of the work week next week with, with three games against the Tigers and only a game and only a game out of uh, of maybe they may uh, they they're only a game out and what a game and a half maybe two games out of getting of getting the first or second wild card spot 
So you take care. You can't focus on and you can't control how if the if the Angels pitching is going to is going to stop the Mariner bats or if the uh, or or if the Rangers take care of bit or if the uh, or if Perez holds up with his eleven and six record and two point seven seven ERA and if the Tampa Bay or excuse me if the Texas bats beat up on Chloe Kluber you can't worry about tonight all you all you got to be able to worry about and all you and the only thing you you can control is Jordan Lyles not repeat what the hell I saw on Saturday afternoon against Boston and have the bats not wait till their final three at bats for them to start putting some runs on the board. You got to jump on Toronto early to beat them. I know that one time they came back because they hung around, but team like Toronto that 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 can that's one of the better if if that's one of the better if not one of the best hitting teams in all of the American League you cannot let them get onto an early lead and, and just allow them just to be just hitting the ball hit and I discussed it last weekend of, of just how of how Toronto was just teeing off on on the Orioles only got held below uh 10 hits in a hit column once and that was the final game in the series, and they and they and they still ended up uh, put still ended up getting nine base hits and scored four runs, and that was the bare minimum that they put up in that series when they came to Baltimore a few weeks ago. So can you can only control you can only control what happens on the field with with players wearing the Baltimore Oriole uniform and Jordan Lyles. Best have his shit together. Excuse my French. Heading into, heading into Friday night's game, because, because the way he pitched, against the Red Sox on Saturday, it should be wor- it would be is worthy enough for him to be for him to be demoted to to double A ball. He was that damn bad. Get get us to the sixth seventh inning. Bullpen shut it down and bats wake up and bats don't wait until seventh, eighth, and ninth. You start counting down the outs and it's like, oh, here I come to save the day. No, no, y'all road team first at bat. You pounce on them early. Bat Espana, especially today and Saturday because you got Manoa waiting for you on Sunday. Two out of three keeps them afloat. You want to send a message and want to and want to increase Orioles fans' confidence and optimism in you still being in this tr- and and have and and have the uh, series in early October uh, when Toronto comes comes back here one final time the third through the fifth to mean something you sweep. Two out of three keeps you treading water. And at this point in the season, the Orioles can't afford to just be treading water at this point. They can't. Not, not after the not, not after prior to the National Series, the week they had. Or the last few weeks that they've had. Game's going to be on Apple TV, which will drive me nuts. Uh, it's hard for me to find it uh, when I'm, t- you know. That's uh, another thing about the Amazon. Thing I like about the Amazon, you go into the Amazon app on your smart TV, and bam, the the game you can't miss it. The game, f- right there, front header logos, all it meets you head on. 
Thursday night football. Bam, here it is. You just don't have to go ahead and you got to scroll the homepage and start finding it. No, right there and meet your head on. It meets your head on. Apple TV. Like, for example, I, I, I'll go on my phone right now as of this moment. Go on my phone, entertainment, click Apple TV, um, go to watch now. I got to scroll. I got I got to do one good scroll or two little scrolls and then the game and then the game Friday night baseball Orioles and Blue Jays is there to meet me. Shouldn't be that difficult, folks. And this is just going to dry and the game's going to die again because in my household, my parents' house, but you get the idea. Um there's only two if I want to watch it on television, on an actual television. There's only two TVs in the house that I can go to in order for me to watch the game. And that's the TV that we have. That's the newest, most updated smart TV at the time when which we got it that we have. That's in our sunroom, which is like our con which is like a converted little uh which is like a little converted patio slash deck thing that we took out the screens and made it like a room. Uh, you know, that's a part of the actual house. The TV in that room, which if the game is tight and the game's going at like 10, 40, 11 o'clock at night, do I want to be watching a game hooping and hollering and my parents are, 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 are across the hall trying to sleep? No. Um, and then the other room is, is, is uh, it doesn't have, it's not a smart TV, but it has a Roku connected to it, which has smart TV, the smart, t the Apple TV app downloaded on it. That's in the guest room upstairs, but I hate, but I, you know, but a, that's the guest room. I'm hardly in it. And B, I don't want to, if I want to eat while I'm watching the game, I don't want to sit up here and be eating, you know, eating whatever I'm eating upstairs in, in, in the, in the guest room across the hall. That's it. The TV in my in our family room is is isn't isn't uh is 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 too old to have uh, Apple TV on it, and the TV and the TV that's adjacent to the kitchen that's that's in our that's in our living quote unquote living room so to speak has Apple TV on it. But whoever was the genius that the, that designed that stupid app for that specific LG smart TV. There's no feature for you to, for you, you know, to watch the Friday night baseball. I know because I looked twice. I looked, I looked the first Friday night of the season, on I might have, it wasn't Good Friday, but the first I forget what day it was in early April, uh, April 9th. Friday, April 9th, the first Friday night of the season when it was when it was Mets and Nationals. I because I, I wanted to watch the game in the kitchen. You know, I wanted to I wanted to watch the game, eat something, and look across the hall and be able to watch it on the TV. And for whatever the reason, you couldn't find the damn game on 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 that stupid specific version of the Apple TV on the Apple TV app on that specific smart TV that I have. Prime Video, I don't have that problem because Prime Video was one of the oldest, you know, apps that 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 the oldest smart TV you can find out there has. So every single, you know, every, I, I can't, I can't miss it. Download the app on, on your phone, your iPad. Plus, because Amazon owns Twitch, you can watch it on Twitch. You, you know, get that the Prime Video app, obviously on the Roku. It's on the TV, on the smart TV in the family room. It's on the smart TV in the living room. It's obviously on the smart TV 
uh, in the room next to my parent next to my parents' bedroom. So I I can't avoid it. Got all the options in the world for me to so that so which obviously if you heard me talking about the game wasn't a complaint about the game being on Amazon Prime because be you know because there's no way I can watch it or if I want to watch it on a regular television. Apple TV and I discussed this in the past is only two rooms and that's it. If not, then I gotta either watch it on my MacBook Air, which obviously has Apple TV on it, and, and or my my phone or my iPad. But if I'm home and the luxury and the TVs are available for me, to, free in the house for me to do it, I don't want to watch the I, same thing with the same thing with with the, with the Bengals. I don't want to watch unless unless it's uh, with the Bengals unless it's Sunday ticket. But if it's a standalone Bengals game, and with the Orioles, I watch the Orioles game standalone. Anything because watching baseball is the same as watching football on on Sunday afternoons. I don't want to watch on my phone, on my iPad, on my computer. Not if I don't have to. I don't, I don't watch on my TV, on the actual TV. Cut the TV on, put the channel on. Bam, game is there. Not cut the TV on. Give the TV a couple seconds because you know for it to connect to the internet, you know it's like it's like when you reset your phone or you reset your iPad, you cut it on and it automatically is connected to the internet. Got give it a couple seconds for it to for it to wake itself up, connect to the internet, then you go. That's 30, 45 seconds right there. Then you gotta go to the app. Then you gotta find the game, click it. Yes, I'm gonna watch it in this quality. Yes, I don't want subtitles on, and then you have the game right there. It's too much, and then the other note, uh, and then we'll say good night. Uh, remember the two Monday night games, Tennessee and Buffalo. That game is exclusively on ESPN because the Viking uh, Eagle game is uh, comes on at about, uh, and I'll get the yeah, I'll get the times so for you just so I can be specific because the uh, Eagle and and uh, Viking game comes on ABC. So unlike last week where where you had the games on the two networks, one game will be on one network, ESPN, and the other game will be on the other network, that is ABC. The game that comes on first is Titans and Bills at 7.15. That game will only be on ESPN. And uh, the Vikings-Eagles game comes on at 8.30. That game will only be on ABC. So you'll have the two games, the Monday Night Football doubleheader like you used to have, uh, except they uh, except that they'll be on a collision course. They'll they'll cannibalize each other ratings wise, and they also will run up against each other, which I don't think I think it'll be the first and last time you see that happen because I don't think the because you know it's gonna one either one game if one game has a, has strong viewership the other game's gonna suffer. Now, I understand if we look at it, oh, wow, combined, you know, 45, 50 million people will watch a Monday Night Football on ABC slash ESPN Families and Networks. Yeah, but is it worth it when you, when you, when you have two games on at the same time and, that, and it's not that Sunday afternoon red zone Sunday ticket format where the two standalone games colliding up against each other, cannibalizing each other? So, I don't think, I don't think the NFL will do it again, but... Anyway, that's another conver another conversation for another day. But hopefully you enjoyed this conversation and the other conversations that we've had, and including the one with Jason Nazario. Special thanks to him of the J Reels Podcast for joining us on another episode of the Amateur Podcast. If you like what you heard and are new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. 
Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow Jason on Twitter at J Reels number one. It's your boy Jack Shields. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you to recap week two on Tuesday. Y'all stay safe. See ya.